picture an acrobat standing on a tightrope. And the tightrope is our dimension. And our dimension has rules. You can move forwards or backwards. But what if right next to our acrobat, there is a flea? Now, the flea can also travel back and forth, just like the acrobat, right? Right. Yeah. Here's where things get really interesting. The flea can also travel this way, along the side of the rope. He can even go underneath the rope. Upside down. Exactly. But we're not the flea, we're the acrobat. In this metaphor, yes, we're the acrobat. So we can't go upside down? No. Well, is there any way for the acrobat to get to the upside down? Well... You'd have to create a massive amount of energy, more than humans are currently capable of creating, mind you, to open up some kind of tear in time and space. And then, you create a doorway. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. You're listening to The Fear of God, a podcast exploring the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fear of God. Uh, with you right now is Nathan Rouse. Usually I come up with some asinine reason for co-host Reed Lackey's absence. Uh, I'm not going to do that today. Reed, here you are. Hi, buddy. Here we are. Um, partly just it's a, it's a little different episode. We got a lot to get to. And, you know, while I believe in the, um, the power of frivolity, sometimes you just got to set it aside. So... We are starting something new today. Before we get to that, I did just want to recap real quickly. Thank you to everybody's involvement, everybody's participation who wrote into the survey for hashtag I love the 90s last month. What a great series that was covering Blair Witch, Misery, Jurassic Park, Scream, and Seven. Five excellent films. I know for me personally, I'd not seen Blair Witch, so that was really cool to get to experience um, and also just to revisit some of those movies. So that, that was a good time, wasn't it, Reed? Oh, I had such a blast. That was so fun. I definitely, I'm already eyeballing like, okay, so do we do 80s next? Do we do, <laughs> do, we do the aughts? Do we, what I, do we It's do? funny. I'd have to look at a list to know, okay, what would qualify as top 80s? Like, and in my, you know, in the immediate, I don't know that I can conjure, okay, here are these from the 80s. So it'd be kind of cool to see what that list would look like. And I think given the subject we're going to dive into today, uh, venturing into the 80s would probably be the the appropriate and logical next step. (laughs) Well, perhaps hashtag I love the 80s is is in the offing at some point. (laughs) So as you just alluded to, today uh, we begin a brand new series um, titled Hashtag Stranger Things Giving, which I'm pretty proud of that title. Um, <laughs> we, we've been anticipating this for some time. You know, we considered it last year when season one first aired. Um, but I think for both of us, there was just such a mountain of coverage already happening. 
Yeah. Um, it felt kind of like, well, you know, let's let's do some different stuff. And and audience or, or listeners won't really know this, but you and I actually try to generally not be quote unquote of the moment with some of the things we cover. Right. Um, right. You know, the desire is it to be a bit more um, perennial. Is that the word I'm looking for? You know, just just the way Annual. in which. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, just the way in which you could kind of. Um, it, it doesn't force us or the listeners to keep up with everything that's coming out, and right, that sort of thing. Right. Just you know, so we don't need to be topical. Right, we, right, we, right. We have very specific things that we want to discuss, and and we just follow that trail rather than the trail of the times. That said, we are being very topical this month. <laughs> <laughs> so forget all of that. Right, and right, right. Well, you know, in our defense, so we waited a year to cover Stranger Things season one. With season two upon us, it felt kind of like the perfect time. Um, and as of this recording, season two, we have not watched it yet, um, but uh, it did release um, around Halloween time. So that's going to be exciting to jump into as well. Um, that said, this will be a little different formatting wise than our normal episode. So, listener, you know, um, know this that this episode will kind of end on a bit of a cliffhanger. Um, we kind of went back and forth on whether to shoehorn four episodes at a time into our typical formatting that felt a little forced so what we are actually going to do is just have one big conversation about the whole season um in our general format that said in terms of episode structure this particular episode you're listening to this podcast episode you're listening to will end midway through that conversation so next week come back and get to hear the rest, you know, not being 100% certain where this will fall, perhaps next week will fall more into the scares and themes and or just themes. So just know that's kind of what we're getting into here. Um, and that we're going to split one long conversation over two podcast episodes. So Reed, before we jump too far into uh, the upside down here, um, something we did not do for I Love the 90s, just because we were covering the the top 100 90s horror movies lists in each episode was the old what you watching what you reading what you listening to <laughs> what listeners don't know right now is that we're in the same room and that feels even more idiotic and strange when we're, when we're sitting across from each other oh, i can um, always just look away from the screen but right right you're, right you're, you're right here so right it's, right exactly problematic <laughs> <laughs> Grown men acting like fools. Oh, um, boy. So, uh, I had referenced, back uh, before we did I Love the 90s, um, I was talking about needing to and desiring to get back into some reading. And I did that and have completed, um, actually, the book The NeverEnding Story. Oh. Um, How did it end? It didn't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I guess I have only myself to blame. <laughs> No, actually, and, and you and I had previous conversations about this um, off off the podcast, but I wanted to read it. It felt like one of those kind of classic. It did release in 1979, so I, I'm using the term classic literature loosely. But um, my affinity as a, a young person for the movie, I felt like, okay, you know, this is a, a bit in my wheelhouse in terms of interest. So I'll give this a go. Interestingly. I, so I knew nothing about the actual prose, you know, what, how it differed or didn't from the movie. Right. All I knew was it, the movie was based on a book. Well, come to find out, and spoiler alert, if you ever take an interest in reading this book, 
the book itself, or rather, let me phrase it this way, the movie is literally only the first half of the book. So the reading of it was a little odd. So in that first half, I was like, man, they're covering a lot of ground fast based on my knowledge and memory of the movie. Right, right. And, and so then you get to a point where the events of the movie stop and you're literally like at the halfway point. And it, it is kind of interesting to me from that standpoint because in that way, uh, sort of like we talked about on It, um, you know, adapting the film from the book, there are certain ways you can adapt that that necessitate rejiggering the structure. Some, sure, right, you know, right. If, if you're going to do it right, if you're yeah. going to do it in a cohesive, coherent kind of fashion. Sure. And so in that respect, I kind of like that the film version of Never Ending Story, and I didn't see any subsequent you know, features, but um, the film version just adapts that first part and, and accomplishes sort of the thematic things that the book is kind of doing anyway. But I was unprepared for the fact that there's a whole second half of the book that, <laughs> that is completely foreign material. It still involves Bastion, Atreyu, and Falcor do show up. Um, but there's a lot of plot in it. And and I jokingly reached out to you at about the three-quarters mark thinking this title is appropriate. This book is not <laughs> ever going to end. There's so much happening. I'm kind of bored. I don't really care anymore. All that to say, by the end of the, the, the book it did kind of reel me back in a little bit in such a way that I was a little more forgiving. And, and I, it's interesting. I, I don't mean to follow this rabbit trail too far, but just that psychology of adaptations, you know, right, like right. if, if I had never seen that film, I probably wouldn't have had those feelings mm -hmm. in the reading. Yeah. But the psychology of knowing what the movie presents conditioned me for certain expectations sure. that, limited my ability to appreciate the rest of the book anyway, yeah that, that's a that's a whole other sort of pop culture conversation but um so that's 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 what i was reading all right I had, now i think you told me you've read that before years ago yeah perhaps. it has been so long i read it in in grade school i believe so it was something that like i i would need to go back and actively revisit it i did know that i, I didn't know that it was at the halfway mark but i did know that it extended beyond the movies material sure. um but yeah and i would have to revisit it to properly assess it because it was probably seventh eighth grade when i read it um but uh but yeah it, it's interesting one final little button on your thing i really think there's something to which medium gets to you first true so like yeah, if you see sure. the film uh then you go back and read <clears throat> the book it, it's 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 not necessarily going to guarantee that you're you're going to enjoy the book more because right, you right. you enjoyed that you had that connection with that movie if you get the book first then obviously that's and i think that's why a lot of people say well the book was better is because most people i think encounter sure, the book first sure. now that may be a little different now with how rapid and how ignorant we are <laughs> <laughs> we, we are relatively ignorant but how rapidly things get adapted into sure. film maybe that's not quite the paradigm anymore now. well and what was interesting and i don't know if you recall any of this but what's interesting and unexpected about the book and and why my feelings on that second half were real muddy in the reading of it is you in that second half there's a pretty dramatic narrative pivot where you actively dislike bastion mm. like he is a dislikable character interesting in the second half for yeah. a bulk of it okay he enters the story I he did enters the that. book. Yeah. He becomes this kind of powerful character and abuses, oh, abuses and right. wields his power right. in ways right. that you're like, oh my gosh, this is not at all what I was expecting the story to take. Sure. So, right. so that created this interesting, in, in, again, in that movie versus book conversation. And if you've only ever seen the movie, you, that's a very big surprise and very sure. big kind of 
shift yeah. in terms yeah. of your affection and understanding of the themes of that book and movie. This anyway. is the sequel that we never asked for. Right, right, What's right. What's going right. on? Someone please end the story. <laughs> end it. <laughs> and then that's the punishment. No, it never right, right. ends. For the sake of us all. <laughs> um, Say my name. Well, that's uh, that's cool. I uh, I don't know if that's uh, an endorsement for me to go back and revisit it, but uh, you know, well, but but I would certainly be interested to for for any reason, just because I'm so affectionate for that film. Uh, speaking of affection for the film, so uh, my recently this was a while ago now. It was about a month ago. Uh, my birthday was on October first, and on my birthday weekend, what I did was I decided to, as I'm prone to do, I have Legos. That I collect, yeah, and I decided to put together one of those Lego sets. And if they usually are associated with a film or television property, I will watch the property while I'm putting together the Lego set. Sure. So I did a double feature of Ghostbusters 1984 and Ghostbusters 2, and then built Ecto One, nice. the Lego Ecto One. Nice. So uh, that was uh, a delightful experience. Yeah. It was really fun revisiting those two. Uh, it was really, f- I mean, I just, you and I had talked before about how fond we are of the act of putting together Legos because sure. p- you, particularly. I mean, you're just, you're just revealing all our habits here. I said, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Gee, don't tell the people that I like to put together Lego sets. Oh my God, I'm an adult. But no, what's so great about it is that, you know, uh, there, we we talked about how the fact now this is a bit ironic because I'm about to praise the fact that there's no screen in the activity while I'm watching right. Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 but it's different it's like I'm not just locked onto a phone it's tactile right, right, I'm, right. I'm actually engaged with something that is um, uh, composite I'm building things together it's 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 a really cathartic and uh, rewarding uh, very sort of rhythmic and peaceful, tranquil experience getting to put together Legos. Um, and so it was something that it was just, I, I usually love to do that. I've done that for the Simpsons house, the main Simpsons house. Uh, I have the Back to the Future DeLorean. I have, it's not Lego proper, it's the offshoot Creo, but I have the Starship Enterprise that I built together. It's a, a really fun, rewarding experience. So, so, I did, so we're going to change the segment to what you watch and read and listen to Master Building. Is that- yes, master okay. building. Okay. Yes, okay. exactly. That's not the word that I thought you were about to say. <laughs> well, I was trying to be specific to the Lego property and somehow walked into an unfortunate double entendre. <laughs> I don't know that that's getting no, cut that out. Has that's to stay. That's great. Um, well, to substantiate what you're saying, there's been some literature I have consumed, even though it hasn't been in a complete book form lately, um, but my wife and I talked about it this summer with our family beach trip about the nature of play and oh, yeah, how, yeah. you know, at all stages, so the book we were reading was about children and their need for um, unstructured play. You know, oh, specifically, yeah. it was about outdoor unstructured play, um, you know, and, and the, the value to, the, to that developmentally. And I, I feel like Lego hits that spot, too, which is why sometimes I don't love how saturated that property has become with preconceived sets and stuff. Although I like them, like you, I like, I mean, I've, uh, someone in my home has a Millennium Falcon. I don't know. I won't really claim that, maybe. But really? It's, really? it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so... Is that, is that Junie, right? Right, you're, right. You're yes, the nine-month-old. Yeah. The nine yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, 
but the notion of just sort of the the benefit kind of to your own inner self you know mm. to like there's there's no screens there's no digital life happening it is simply dialing in on an activity on play right you know, and, and right. how nourishing and enriching that is so i will affirm your your toy <laughs> your toy obsession and your master building um so <laughs> moving right along from that that has been another episode of what you watching what you watching what you reading reading what you listening to <laughs> yep there you go welcome back everybody <laughs> hashtag I love the 90s is over and that was our episode I know we joked about stranger things but that was just a joke that's the end of our episode have a good day no um, wow. so moving right along read so stranger Nathan. things season one I was trying to rack my brain to remember like this was one of those properties that hit Netflix that kind of bubbled in the in the popular consciousness for a couple weeks maybe even a little longer before i was like okay it's time to figure out what this is all about hmm. in other words i wasn't i didn't follow it pre-production i didn't know anything about it it hit netflix i don't even remember if i'd seen any trailers i didn't actively look into it until sure, all right. of a sudden everyone's talking about stranger things right right um and even then i didn't know much about the plotting just sort of the general vibe um and so uh both my wife and i watched it and and thoroughly this is a year ago now thoroughly enjoyed it did did was that a similar sort of story for you or did yeah. you know about it beforehand in any measure i didn't know about it before pre-production so all of a sudden it hits netflix right. and the moment it now i don't know exactly where this time frame lined up for you and and your wife but for us, like pretty much the weekend it hit Netflix, I can't remember exactly what date that was, but about the time it did, my wife and I were both like, huh, this is something that's probably in our alley. Let's check it out. Let's see. So it was kind of pre-obsessive buzz, right. but not following it through pre-production and stuff like that. Sure. So um, it was, But it was pretty on the dot when it released. We were like, oh, let's check it out. And uh, this would probably be the first button on my likes, dislikes, but I knew inside of the first 10 minutes of the first episode, I love this show. Like, <laughs> like, right, it, right. it really was kind of love at first sight in terms of, okay, this is, as long as they don't go in a, some dramatically bizarre different direction, if the show... If the show is these 10 minutes, then yes, I'm on board. This is great. Uh, this is what I've been sort of missing and looking forward to, uh, you know, as the creatives who grew up in the 80s, as we did, are now coming of age and making new products. This is the kind of thing that I would get excited about that, that doing. And I'm sure we'll get into more of those specifics. But yeah, that was a very similar experience where we just, as soon as it hit, we knew it might be something we were interested in. We checked it out and of course we loved it. Well, and and for listeners keeping score at home, how we're generally going to structure this, we will do some trivial bits here at the front. We'll do some overall bullet points, kind of yeah. of the whole series, kind of likes, dislikes, as far as that goes. And then we'll sort of uh, drill down a little bit and get more um, microscoped per episode as we go and then round everything off with themes at the end. Um, you know, it's... It's interesting. You and I had a conversation actually on the podcast. I don't remember what episode it was a while back in making reference to Stranger Things. And this is validating sort of what you're saying, how the danger with a lot of these 
retrospective media properties. You know, I'm thinking of even just looking at the trailer for like Ready Player One. Oh, right, right. You can, and again, I haven't seen Ready Player One. I don't even think it's out yet, but I haven't read that book. So, so this is purely just observation. It's not actually knowing about that story. But there's this way in which I feel like there's a danger these days of getting overly romanticized about a certain generation and, and just sort of fan servicing. Sure. Hitting your nostalgia buttons. Right. You know, it's like, oh, I remember Mm -hmm. that thing, you know, and, and whereas there's no real substance to the material underneath it. Which is actually, maybe this is where you were going, it, I'm not in this camp, but that's one of the criticisms against Stranger Things, is that if not for the winks, nods, and call-outs that it had, there would not be much to it beyond that. I disagree with that, but I've heard that complaint frequently, where they say there's there's so much nostalgia in it, and there's right. so much evoking of other property sure. that how much of it is actually there. And again, we'll, we'll be able to get into well, that and I some, think, a little bit. Uh, yes, I was following that rabbit trail in the sen- landing at the opposite way, which is to simply say, I think they do it well. Yeah, yes. I, I wouldn't dismiss that criticism. Like, I wouldn't say, sure. you're wrong, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think because, it's valid. Because they yeah. do mine that as, as a lot. You know, I mean, oh, it, yeah. it's, it's everywhere. It, mm-hmm. Um that said, I think, and I don't know if if what your wife's experience is of all the touch points of those, what they're referencing to, but my wife doesn't have a ton of pop culture kind of knowledge and background. And oh, so, okay. so to her, she's just watching a kind of fantasy kids, 80s sort of thing. Right. And she loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I can see both sides. Like for, sure. for me personally... It is clearly a love letter to it. Oh, yes. But I also think there's a really strong story with mm-hmm. some decent substance to it there. Oh, I, you know? I, I And I think totally that's agree. what matters. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel like you're just offering up the, you know, volleying up these real easy, gimme sort of nostalgia touch points without right. also doing something well. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think they really do a lot well. Though it is funny. I can't remember where my watching Stranger Things synced up with our John Carpenter series, but it, it would have was, been comparable. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, there, there's, there's similarly, uh, timelined. I just don't know which actually came first, but I remember having had conversations about and, or having already watched the thing. And then you see the thing poster. Sure. Right, there, right, right. And they the have basement. that clip from it in one of the episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Where Mr. Clark yes, is, is watching it. Is watching it. And it's exactly. Like the, the bubble gum and the glue or something. Right, I don't remember right. What it was. Well, uh, as way of just sort of um, wading into the shallows here to, to, to deeper conversation, what, what kind of trivial bits did you find um, relative well, to the actual show? So it's, it's a little challenging, to be honest with you, because. This is, as we've alluded to already, it's an endless well sure. of winks, nods, references, character names, uh, shots, posters in the background. I mean, we're talking about eight episodes where nearly every other frame of each episode has some sort of call out to a pop culture stigma or right. you know a staple of sure. the 80s um, so I actually I don't want to start getting into a whole bunch I'll just encourage listeners like yes 
dissect annotate it. I'm sure there's yes. an annotated version out there. Yeah, uh, dissect any given episode, <clears throat> and you're going to see what I'll what I'll summarize it all with is it's saturated with Stephen King, it's saturated with Steven Spielberg, it's saturated with John Carpenter. Like sure. those those three creative voices make up the bulk of most of the referential material. You so, know what's funny about you saying that is what is it episode six or seven. Someone said, "Oh, it's it's when uh, this is dialing in a little heavy, but then we can pull right back out." But when Joyce and Hopper go to uh, Eleven's mom's house, and oh, the sister yeah. says, "You ever read Stephen King?" Yeah, that was a moment that almost felt too much for me. Sure, I'm right, like, right. Okay, yeah. Now you're now you're being really on the nose yeah. here. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. And the guard who uh, who Hopper like knocks out uh-huh. again, like you know, not getting too sure. much in the weeds right now. But when Hopper knocks him out, I think he's reading Cujo. If I remember but see, that correctly. doesn't bother me as much as, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, as that, as that specific yeah, yeah. thing. I get it. I get it. Um, but there's even like, not only, so, uh, so you could summarize the Winks, Nods, call-outs. And here's what I will say. So, so like you referenced that your wife didn't have a lot of touch points. So my wife obviously didn't have the Stephen King ones because sure. she didn't grow up reading Stephen King. Uh, she didn't have... I don't think many of the John Carpenter callouts, but she had all the Spielbergs. Sure. So every call out to ET, every call out to Close Encounters, every call out to Poltergeist, like those, she she caught all of those. Um, but yeah, you could take the the work, the collective work of those three creatives: Stephen King in the '80s, John Carpenter in the '80s, uh, Steven Spielberg in the '80s, and broader than that, '80s sci-fi and horror in general, like like Hopper. Hopper's name is a directly that's Schwarzenegger's character's name in Predator. So little, really? yeah. That's so funny. so even little well, touches funny like that. saying that is rewatching it for the podcast. I wondered. I didn't do any digging. I was like, Dennis Hopper. He was big in the eighties. Oh, like, I wondered, right, right, right. Was that a reference to him? All that, yeah. Interesting. All I, I think virtually every character name uh, or character appearance is a referential call out to something else. Like I, like we said, you could annotate <clears> it. So there's not there's not really. I think. Well, it, here's a question for you, and and. You know, clearly these are. This is going to be a different set of episodes for us than normal. So we'll kind of we'll kind of run with where the spirit takes us. But it's funny having this conversation in this moment. This is a real time thought. Like I will often see movie trailers for Transformers fifteen and Jason and Freddy thirty and whatever. You know, I'm exaggerating, but and and get mad like come on you know what is so difficult about and and yes this is a simplistic question with a non-simplistic answer i understand that but it just feels so rare to have new original creative properties sure right and so i'm i am in the moment sort of feeling this kind of maybe i sympathize with those who would criticize stranger things like you know do you like in in your assessment of something like a Stranger Things? Do you feel like it's this happy marriage of these two ideas, these two notions that lets fan service some, but while at the same time having relatively original property in the sense of you know a lot of the things they the story physically does you can find in other sort of science fiction and that sort of thing, but they do kind of meld it rather well in a lot of different ways. But does that? I don't know if this is all making sense, but it does. What I'm what I'm hearing is we're we're looking at the difference between something like homage and sure. something like plagiarism, right? right so right. so we're looking at that. Th- that I think is the is the bulk of the argument, right? Uh, I wish I could remember who this is attributed to, but it's a 
quote that I reference often, so I should look it up so I know who attributed it to. Um, it might be Mark Twain. Sounds like Mark Twain and feels like Mark Twain. But it walks like a duck. <laughs> but the quote is, um, all good writers borrow. All great writers steal. Sure. And I, again, I forget who said it. Like I said, it kind of feels like Mark Twain. But um, the idea that like, hey, everybody is, every creative is a product of the things that have inspired them. Sure. So the argument from Ecclesiastes about nothing new under the sun holds a lot of water. Like th- these, I wonder where he stole that from. I know, right? <laughs> from Jesus. So <laughs> your timing's off. Right, right, right. right. Um, but the, the idea of like these things to a fashion have been done sure. before. And I, man, this is getting a little bit on a side trail, but I'm going to follow right. it for a second. The, the, I had a conversation at uh, at a, a convention where I was a, a panelist, the Alpha Omega Con this past year, where I said, we must be careful that just because something got there first doesn't necessarily mean that it inspired it. So we can give it credit for, like for instance, we talked about with Blair Witch Project, uh-huh. a film called Cannibal Holocaust got to the found footage idea first, but it didn't spawn a subgenre. Sure. It, it got there first and deserves its credit for getting there first and for having the idea first. But for whatever reason, because of its content, because of its influence, whatever, it didn't spawn the subgenre. Blair Witch Project, timing, execution, sure, sure. impact, it spawned the subgenre. Right. So I think when we're looking at so we're having two conversations here, and I'll sort of uh, extrapolate this for a second and then put a little bow on it, that when you're looking at ideas like what got there first... We're talking about original content, like right, what, right. what got there first, and then what influenced all of these other things. Sure. People were doing the things that Stephen King has been doing. They've been doing that for centuries now, the right, types right, of stories right, right. he writes. But he, uh, and this is something that I say, and I would encourage any other creative out there, where somebody will have an idea, and they'll say, like, but they've already done it. Right, this other right, person's right. already done it. What I say unanimously to those people is, yeah, but you, they're not you. Sure, you sure, haven't done sure, it. Sure. If Stephen King were to say, like, well, lots of people are writing horror, well, we wouldn't have any Stephen King. Right. You know? And he is a very specific voice, his particular sensibilities. John Carpenter, same thing. Well, people are already making horror movies, but he has a particular sensibility. Spielberg, too. It's not as if they burst forth. And, and I think there's a lot of pressure on people to be original. Right. And I want to remove that. I don't care very much about originality as long as you, the creative, are being true and honest to the voice and to the things that inspire yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Now, there are probably some people who could kick back against that and say, like, well, yeah, uh, some of the worst filmmakers in history are simply just being true to themselves. Like, well, yeah, there's, there's sure, talent sure. plays a, yeah, a role, I mean, you know. But I think there's a, a drive to be like, hey, we're going to be original and we're going to be different. And I am not totally convinced that that is as necessary as being true or being honest. And yeah, if you're... I, I, I can I can totally buy that, and it's funny. I was gonna look up, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll look it up later and maybe throw it on the Facebook page. But a book I did read this summer was called uh, "Real Artists Don't Starve," and oh. and one of his whole the the author one of one of the main points he talks about is exactly what you're referring to, which is in don't be so quick to say I have to be original or this side or the other. Like we are all the product of our influences sure. and and not being afraid to channel those influences. Sure. And I, and I think you make a really strong case and point for 
it is, I think, from a creative standpoint, it's not about mute the influences. Right. It's about let let the tension live, you mm-hmm. know, of, okay, uh, I have a story that is influenced by certain factors and facets sure. and voices. Right. But I'm going to let my story be my story and acknowledge these influences versus the clear, in most cases, like what I would rail against and complain about and picking on the Transformers sort of thing here since I already invoked it. But it's like, y'all aren't even trying. You're you're Mm. not even honoring the tension. You're just saying, let's redo the thing. Yeah, right, right, right. And it's, I don't know, that feels old and tired. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what you're describing, and I think what this author, I'll look him up later in this book, Real Artists Don't Starve, would say is, no, there's always good stories to tell, and they will clearly be influenced by other stories. Right. Um, And so, so, no, I can totally... I can totally get behind that. And to your point about getting back to the franchise thing, like I, I think it just de- I think it just depends on how strong the substance of the franchise is. Sure. I, being a horror lover for you know most of my life, have definitely rolled my eyes at some of the franchises that just won't die. Right. That having been said, they find a way next year. To do a new Freddy Krueger movie, like I'll be in the theater. Like right. we t- we talked right. about uh, during hashtag I Love the Nineties, we talked about this new Halloween oh, yeah. film right. that's coming up that Carpenter is just producing. But I'm like, I, I will go. Right, sure, <laughs> I, sure. I-, I love that character. I love that world. So I will go back to it. And and <clears throat> I think that's part of why you get your Fast and the Furious franchises. You know, which right. maybe somebody with our sensibilities might might tease a bit just because we're not into that property. Sure. But I do understand why people keep revisiting that well because it, it does something, it connects to something that they find either inspirational or fun or cathartic or whatever it is. And because right. it taps into that, yeah, they keep revisiting that. And I think the challenge is, for any creative, the challenge is to make sure that you are not merely putting it on a, a machine and carbon copying it. Right, right, And right, not right. just merely running it through and like, well, now now I've made a carbon copy, now let me just color it blue. Sure. And Stranger Things doesn't at all do that. Like, if somebody were to say, like, no, they just, you know, retread the plot wheel and spit it back out, I, I will argue against that. Sure, sure. If somebody were to, to make a case, and many did, that it is so saturated in nostalgia that it doesn't have much there, I will hear them out and will likely agree with most of the things that they have to say. Right. But if somebody were to say that they're merely copying other things other people did, I think there's much more to Stranger Things than that. Sure, I sure. think that they have taken the influence of those other sources and then told their own story and blended them together, and I, I love it. Right, I mean, it's, right, it's right. essentially like this new stew that we get. Right. Vegetables have been around forever. You know, that type of broth has been around forever. You know, the cooking methodology has all been around there together. But they've added this spice. They've done their own thing to it. Sure. And it's delicious. And that's... Just throw waffles in it. I'm hungry now. (laughs) (laughs) They threw waffles in it. That's exactly Um, right. I am curious. So so we will sort of officially open our chapter here. Uh, Stranger Things leans heavily on chapter verbiage. So... We'll we'll open the uh, chapter here of just kind of overall feelings about the series. These will be broad, you know, um, uh, technically sort of a like dislike type of feel to it, but just sort of broad bullets and notes. Um, I'm curious from you. I, I'm saying all that. Did you have other trivial bits that we should 
address? I'm sorry. I took no, that. no, no. Don't feel bad. The only last one that I'll mention is just I love that. So it starts with a Demogorgon. That is an actual character from Dungeons & Dragons. Right. Uh, the first edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, which I played heavily in high school, but the first edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, the Demogorgon was like the big boss. That was right, the big right, bad. Right, right. Um, so that's another reason why, calling back to what I said earlier about like falling in love immediately with the series, sure. is just like, oh man, I... They've got the Demogorgon, like right, right out right, the right. and then they're going to connect it to something that's actually happening. And I'm like, sure. so, so I'm, I'm, my mind was just explosive at that point. I was, I was ten years old again, and I was very, very happy. So you were ten years old in high school. I'm very smart, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. No, <laughs> no uh, but sincerely, like I just, I love that authenticity, and and like I said before, I don't want us to. We would spend three hours. Do you know, is the Thessal Hydra? Uh, my guess is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember one. Yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. remember where it ranks in the the, sure. the baddies. I'm sure some but. of our listeners um, listen to you, Clayton Davis, getting two call outs in in a month <laughs> around Stranger Things one. I remember he and another friend of mine on Facebook going back and forth about the ins and outs and, um, and nitpicking the Dungeons and Dragons references. That's like, hilarious. wow. Yeah, that's wow, pretty that's fun. pretty awesome. That's pretty um, fun. Yeah, my final little note yeah, on yeah. trivial bits is just yes. We would have a four and a half hour conversation calling out all of the ones that are relevant and fun. That's why we're actively bypassing it is because, yeah, you could annotate every episode and right, go in. Right. Yeah, there, it's fun. Dive into it because it's is, fun. This is a fun trivial bit, even though I just tried to crack the book on a whole other section. But have you read the sort of backstory about them talking Millie Bobby Brown into cutting her hair? Do you know this story? Uh, no, I just know that like her dad was kind of traumatized and they put it up on YouTube because he was so sad that she was cutting her hair. Well, but I don't know, I don't know that story, but she, she was very reluctant initially. Oh, really? And they showed her, uh, Charlize Theron and Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> and that was kind of the turning point. Like, that's okay. great. Which is great. Oh, that's that great. movie is so fantastic and she's great. That it? movie is wonderful. Um, so yes. Okay. So now um, moving into kind of broad sort of likes, dislikes. Um, uh, you know, I am not necessarily, I wasn't necessarily this person until I read a lot of, or a, a decent amount of the criticism of it. Um, what I have right here is the barb problem. Um, oh, okay. You know, and and it's interesting. I don't know if you, I presume you know in, in the reading or... or Hashtag justice for barb. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, a lot of people glommed onto that character really quickly and were very disappointed with how season one addressed or in some ways didn't address her fate and that sort of thing. So so we'll unpack that a little bit. But on a, on a broader context here... I do think this is one of those few really specific drawbacks to the release it all at once model. Mm. You know, think about your more broadcast style shows or more actually serialized style shows. And you just watch Game of Thrones and this is a perfect example. So Game of Thrones, the show itself can learn from itself. Oh, right. Right. You know, like Game of Thrones got serious and not, not unmerited heat for its treatment of women in, in especially kind of the middle sections of that series to the point that now that you're caught up and spoiler alert, it, it's almost an about face about on that specific point, you yeah. know? Um, so the show itself can learn from, right. It, it can course correct based on, cause, and you and I think this would be clear. We're not always like, Oh, the audience is always right. I, I don't necessarily believe that. Sure. I do think there are points where, the audience can be right. 
Mm-hmm. And and this is one of those moments where, because of the compact nature, it's eight episodes, which historically is not a lot. Right. And you're releasing it all at once, which means you're committed. It's all, all the narrative is there that's going right. to be there. Right, right, right. And so we have to live with what's there. And people's... And, and so, so, so a sort of question is, like for me, I'm... I'd have to really read a lot of notes on what that criticism actually is after. Personally, what I get from it is this was a real opportunity for a character that's a little unconventional Mm -hmm. and and you could really use her more. Um, The ambiguity of, you know, having just watched it again, I paid more attention to that plot point. Right, right. The ambiguity of kind of her fate. Yeah. Um, because she sure seems dead, right? But then, uh, but is she? Yeah. The the fact, and and this is true, and I would say this is a legitimate criticism. The fact that Nancy seems like the only person who is really concerned about about her, Barb. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They and, give lip service to her mother, but then that's it. It's just it well, on. and uh, <laughs> I guess I guess the uh, embargo is lifted here. Uh, never let me take a, a miss an opportunity to to wag the finger at Zack Snyder here. It feels like. The feeling I had when Batman vs Superman came out of as much as I don't like the thing, the events of Man of Steel, there are, believe it or not, listener and read, there are things I like about Man of Steel. They are far buried under the rubble of the things I don't like in Metropolis itself. But how Batman vs Superman starts with this kind of acknowledgement, yeah, yeah, of the rubble, right, and its impact in a way that feels like oh. Now you're just covering your tracks. Like oh, now I you're see. just sort of retconning compassion. Oh, I see. So where I'm right. going with this is, you know, Stranger Things two hype machine, and by the time this airs, the the actual season will have released is in full effect right now. You know, mm-hmm. Entertainment Weekly is doing this massive PR blitz on it, and they are talking about Barb a lot and oh, how it's yeah. going to get addressed. And and hear me, like it may all work and it may all tie together, it may be great. It feels like that. It feels like there was a little bit of legitimate criticism that can be leveled against season one with how you treated this character, and now you're sure. kind of making amends for that. Which, cool, well, yeah, good. Um, but I do. But it is interesting. Like, and, and this is a question I would have for you: is as you assess season one with, and 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 maybe you paid attention to that too. I don't know, but I like that she's an unconventional character. The the ambiguity of her death is to me the big sticking point. It's like okay. Yes, yes, it's troublesome that only Nancy is concerned, but like either kill her or don't, because right. you've made the whole you've the, the 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 architecture of season one of Stranger Things is the search for Will Byers, right? Just right. Period. That's the story, right? Right. Which is okay, mm-hmm. but what that means is you can't you can't dangle a mystery that you don't mean to be a mystery, right? Does that make sense? It does, but here's what I would say back to so so a couple of quick successive thoughts. Yeah. Um before I forget it, slight pushback to your reference of Game of Thrones. I, by the time a season of Game of Thrones airs, it's done. So yes, it releases sure, weekly, sure. but it's filmed, sure. it's locked. Right. Like the only recovery that they might be able to do is some post-production stuff to the last two or three episodes. Sure. But by the time a season begins to air, it is completed. Well, and to jump in on that, what actually was probably a better example and, and more in line with our spirits and hearts is Lost. Oh, um, right, right. Lost, um, pa- Nikki and Paolo. Yeah, uh, yeah, Season three, okay. 
by the Season time, three. like in Lindelof, you can read these interviews talks about how by the time the audience was complaining about Nikki and Paolo creatively, they already knew. Yeah. And, and you get that episode expose, mm-hmm. which I don't yeah. know if you remember this. I loved this. They hyped as if you love Nikki and Paolo, you love this episode. If you hate them, you love this episode. Yes. Yes. Um, but the point being they course corrected based on what they understood of the example. creative yeah. sort of, we knew it wasn't working. We got to do something yes. about it. Yeah, anyway. and that and and that does. I wouldn't kick back to get against that at all. I do think that the network model sure. definitely right. does that because the network model is usually only two or three episodes ahead. Versus right. like right. premium right. network is going to do their whole sure. season at sure. a time and drop it. Netflix, Game of Thrones has had time to correct. Right. Um, Stranger Things hasn't. Yeah, yet. they've had like seven years. And I would say like so the other Netflix show that gets a lot of criticism that they might be doing differently for season two is uh, Thirteen Reasons Why. So things like that, I think Netflix takes their criticism or their feedback seriously because they want their properties to continue to grow and they want them to, they're, they're now moving more into a model where like they're canceling shows that aren't received well, they're, they're course correcting shows that are popular that they think there's some opportunity to do something different. For me, watching season one and even going back into it this time around, I would agree wholeheartedly like, yeah, Nancy's the only one concerned for Barb. But what I would genuine what I would genuinely say though is what you alluded to earlier like Will Byers is the story. So I so I sure. get it. Sure. I do get it. I don't I could easily hear had they gone the other direction and spent a lot of time on the aftermath of Barb's missing, then I feel like you're trying to tell two stories. Correct. Because and I agree with that. because you're you've got 8 episodes there 50 minutes each, 50 to 55 minutes each. So that Will Byers is your story. Right. And yes, Barb being, you know, captured in the upside down. And in my viewing, first time and on this rewatch, she appeared dead. Like she it seemed to me that she's dead. But yes. But the fact that there can be a, a, a bit of a an uptick in your voice there at the end indicating a question mark is sure. still problematic. But it's because of this meta stuff that's happened after it. I presumed she was dead season one. Well, period. but don't you think, and again, I don't want us to get too lost in this particular strain of thread. Strain or thread. Strain or thread. I'm on, I'm on uh, uh, California time right now and I'm usually on uh, North Carolina time. Um, I think that if because her her abduction to the upside down in episode three two is so good, mm. like I don't want to see a, a, a murderous scene of that character, but I, right. I need to know like yeah, am I am I holding out for this? Hope for it, and yeah. so mm. and I think that's sort of where they went a little, if you could say wrong. That yeah. that might have been where it happened. Yeah. I just I need to know decisively because this character is still concerned, mm-hmm. which means. Am I supposed to still be concerned? So it sure. just kind of creates this weird kind of feedback loop. Yeah, my, my of expectation. Ex- sure, and my experience of season one was basically she's dis- her body's discovered, she's dead, which immediately triples the threat against Will Byers because Barb was older. Yes, she's uh, except she's, her body's does not discover till eight. Her her body is it not discovered till eight? No. I thought it was discovered earlier. Mm-mm. It's only when. It oh, is. but but it's still the same point that like the fact that I didn't reference when when it happened, sure. like the fact when you find her body, then it's like you're already aware. Hey, Will is off in this other thing, right? And we were aware like Barb got taken, and the presumption is 
trouble. The, right, the presumption right, is right, the right. you know potentially fatal trouble. But when you find her body, yeah, it, it, even coming so late into the series, then it's like, well, now the full search for Will Byers is underway, and. At the end of episode eight, or not at the end of episode eight, at the end of episode seven is when the thing, the monster breaks in and finally gets Will. Because we don't realize right, until right, toward, right, right. you know towards the end that Will has successfully evaded him right. all this time. When he finally gets Will and then realizing, oh, the situation might be fatal, right. is what you're referring to, and maybe this is a different conversation, is what you're referring to the fact that she's missing and they don't talk about it throughout the run of the show. Not just that like... The only person who's concerned for her passing and grievous of that is Nancy. Well, I think I think part of it is just there's unintended dramatic irony, and by that I mean it's okay for me as an audience member to know something that the characters don't know. Oh, sure. I, when I'm sure. in the dark, it means you. It ostensibly means you've chosen to keep me in the dark, and I don't think they meant for that oh, to happen. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I, I can see that. And so, that. to me, even the point of are the stakes raised against Will when you know she's dead? Well, you don't know she's dead until mm-hmm. episode Late eight. Game. Yeah. And, and then five minutes later, they find Will. A- anyway, I, I don't sure. want us to get totally uh, sidetracked on that, but I do think it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, Sure, just one little button. Uh, by the time listeners hear this episode, they'll probably know. Right, 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 <laughs> because, right. And, you know, this is, you know we, if we didn't specifically call it out, we're talking about season one before we've seen season right, two. Right. So maybe Well, this I is think you're meant to think she's dead. Yeah, I do. Yeah, um, I just don't think it's decisive enough. Sure, in its presentation. Yeah, um, that makes sense purely from a creative standpoint. But um, this sounds like I'm I'm coming guns blazing against the series. I'm I'm really not. These are just some th- sticking points I had. So uh, one other, because I've got two really excellent positives, but one other slight slight, if you will, is it all? It bothered me the first time I watched season one. And clearly from the promotional material for season two, they are raising the monster level uh, in terms of stakes. And they do do something interesting in the latter part of episode eight of season one when Hopper and Joyce are in the Upside Down to allude to this. But it always bothered me that there was just one creature. Like, Oh, sure. I, fully ant- the fir- I remember this. I fully anticipated in the first watching of season one that when Joyce and Hopper are over there in, se- in episode eight, that you would that they would encounter like a swarm or something. Sure. You know, like I was yeah. just I was kind of ready for that. I was like certainly because logically mm. it sort of begs the question this it or rather it doesn't make sense to me why there's only why there would be only one. Sure. Sure. So I don't know that that was a case where I sort sort of personally had to set aside my willing suspension of disbelief like Sure. Yeah. Like it is what it is. This is the story you're giving me. That's cool, but I don't buy right now. That there's and it doesn't make sense to me that there would only be one creature. So let me let me kick back against that just for an inch. Sure. Um, that's what you do. That's right. Jaws. There's only one shark, and the ocean's big. Now I'm I'm not being too dismissive. What of audience you. members don't know is I just made I rolled my eyes at Reed when you said <laughs> that, so that's why you but, reacted but, so but, strongly. But no, it's this this is the point that I'm trying to make. Your criticism is valid, but there's also a, an assumption behind your criticism that a there are swarms of this type of creature at all. Maybe it's an anomaly. B that upside down by its nature is teeming with monsters, which yes, the show sort of leads you in that direction. But if you perceive a, 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 a naturalistic horror film like Jaws, where sharks are a plenty, 
But the problem in Jaws is, but there's one big mother that we've right. got a bad problem sure. with. And it would be almost silly for the trio of people that go out into the ocean to hunt the big mother to encounter suddenly cycles of them, even though we know in the ocean there are sharks aplenty. So they need a bigger boat. They need a bigger boat. Yeah. So, so I guess again, I, I'm not utterly dismissing your criticism because I do think that's that's natural to make assumption that yes, there are more than one or maybe. But I'm just like, but you know, the show doesn't really address it. The show right. doesn't really but say what to that kick is. Back against your kickback, and this is fun. <laughs> this is why this episode is going to be two episodes. Uh, why this conversation is going to be two episodes. You've addressed. You've you've answered that question. I understand the rules of the ocean oh, sure. and sharks. Mm-hmm. I can sort of buy in. There's just this one big ass shark that's right. after these people. Right. Like right. I can I can go with that. Yeah. In Stranger Things, one the title alludes to plural, which that's a that's a very incidental kind of thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but also, I I I as a viewer need to be led to what the rules of this world are sure and and while i can sort of use context clues to develop some of my understanding of it there's still a lot at play that that is a new paradigm right to kind of ascertain in a way that the ocean and a shark aren't so for instance you know um you've you've you stranger things has implemented the imagery of this um uh, worm-like thing attached to people's mouths right. that the produces, so, yeah, the umbilicus kind of idea that does or doesn't implant worm-like things that are then coughed up. Which is a call out to Alien. Sure. Which <laughs> yeah. and, and what I alluded to a minute ago is when Hopper and Joyce are walking through, they see an egg. Sure. Like, right, right. Which again, call out Alien. My point is there's a lot visually that's happening mm-hmm. that would sort of indicate something more populous Sure. Than a lone entity right, operating. Right. And Joyce and Hopper cover enough real estate in episode eight, like literally are mm-hmm. walking through enough that it just didn't make a ton of sense to me. Again, I can go with it. It was fun. I loved mm-hmm. it. But it didn't make a ton of sense that, that we aren't given some, some means to think, okay, this, this is more than just a lone sort of operator in sure. this world. Sure. Because... We're assuming certain things based on what we'll call the Demogorgon in the show. It's got the the mouth it uses to eat people or not eat people or yeah. attach them to the sure. umbilicus. Not quite like sure. there's just a right, lot of right. there's a lot of rules we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm cool with trusting creators with their rules. Sure, but I need a little bit to sort of think. For for me to not have a question mark like why 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 aren't there more things you know right, like sure, I don't know if sure. that makes sense again yeah yeah it's and I think you I think it really does again like the stuff we said about the nostalgia criticisms it's it's a criticism I find valid but that I would kick against sure, you know so sure. so it is it's like what As you're, you just did exactly <laughs> so but like what we're what you're articulating is is completely understandable. Um, right. Did it did it bother me? No, not really. You know, like to me, the the Hawkins is kind of a microcosmic. Thing. The other thing that I thought of, kind of coming off of Jaws, would be like a rogue bear, like one one rogue bear. Like, yeah, maybe there's tons of bears out in the forest, but one gets into civilization. Because the other thing to remember is that it's all taking place in Hawkins. Sure. You talk about their real estate, but they go to their house, they go to that facility, which right. we're told are just a couple of miles from each other. In a very small nexus of material, yeah, I could I could see that there's not, 
you know, a heavy. I guess. So here's the other reason why I continue to kick back against it. Is you just like to be contrary. I do. I do. Um, there. I actually don't. It always frustrates me. <laughs> <laughs> but but the the I think the presumption is usually made in horror, or the presumption is usually made even in sci-fi that there's never just one ant, or there's never just one of of these things. That uh, the, uh, oddly enough. We're really embracing of the fact that the situation that collided these two worlds together is anomalous. There's only the one of sure. that. But in that other, in the upside down, like you said, it's a natural assumption to think there's a multitude of these right, things. Right, right. You know, when it's like, well, uh, maybe in this world now. Here's here's where I will join in your criticism and say they don't explain these rules. Sure. They don't. Right, they right, they right. don't go into it. Maybe at the time that they were doing it, they didn't know them. Maybe. The, but, but here's the thing: is I think I read. I couldn't completely substantiate this, but I think I read somewhere that they wrote out like something like a 35 page document on this is the upside down. Right. These these are. What's in it, how it works, all this other stuff, this is the upside down. So what we get in Stranger Things is like a, a one piece of the jigsaw puzzle sure, of that. Sure. And so and I'm okay with that. Like I'm all right and and we start to see even in the trailer for season two, there's this big right, right, honking right. spider looking thing right. off in the distance that looks terrifying and enormous. That's a hydra. Yes, maybe. there you go. Yes, maybe. So um so we have you know, uh, illusions to or allusions to the fact that that's that right, that other right, is right. out there. I'm perfectly fine again with the Barb thing. It all go, it all comes back to people who would criticize it for not being more. I would say I understand that, but I kind of to a degree applaud them for just telling the story they're telling. And in the, and in this story they're telling, sure, it's about the disappearance of Will Byers and the Demogorgon got him. Right. So so you just. You get that. And right. so sure. can we wink and nod and, or, and, you know. And I think that sort of, uh, I, to me, a better sci-fi analogy than Jaws would be Alien. Hmm. In Alien, it makes sense. A thing has, they, they landed on a place. It hijacks, you know, the, the alien itself enmeshes itself. Sure. And with the crew. Right, right. Now we're on the, the what's the Nostromo. Nostromo, you good like job, that? good yeah, job. I haven't watched that recently. Either, yeah, so see, that good was job. Really from memory, um, just for you. Um, <laughs> we are, the Nostromo is is sacred ground. It's common ground. It's understandable ground. Sure, like right. That gets infiltrated. In Stranger Things, Hawkins is the Nostromo. It is an understandable yeah. paradigm to yeah, us. It's a microcosm, right? Once and and we flirt with the upside down throughout season one. Sure, but in season eight, I mean, in episode eight is when we fully enter it yeah and i think that is what just kind of again this sounds like i'm really trying to crap on it i'm not i'm just trying to suggest something that annoyed me or bothered me or or could have been a bit more interesting that we'll sure. put it that way yeah could yeah. have been a bit more interesting was you know have other threats that are that are even not not even that come after joyce and hopper sure but that oh gosh it's, it's one thing to stumble over this burst egg that that is just is it nostalgia illusion? Right, is it actual right. sort of world building? Right. It's right. another thing to have Joyce and Hopper turn a corner and either A, there's a gaggle of Demogorgons in the distance and oh my God, we can't yeah. go that way. Or a gaggle of some other creature. Right, that, right. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. the point I'm trying to make. It yeah. is suddenly, suddenly the stakes are raised while they're in the upside down. Sure, I see. And and it, it enhances the, the tension. Sure. And it world builds. Because mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with 
the rogue bear analogy infiltrating Hawkins. Because right, that's right. our world. I yeah. understand the rules of our world. Right. And I understand that this thing has gone rogue and is pulling people back in because we let it. We let it sure. in sure. through the portal. Anyway, those, the, like I said, it sounds like I'm drilling down hard on things I don't like. I'm just putting those on the table. Um, I want you to be able to offer some. I do have two. I do big, big broad likes, but I want, do you have anything specific? So my, the, the three things that I would say, and they'll probably, I'm, I'm going to toss this out here. Maybe it'll connect specifically to what you like have. Like a grenade in a backpack? Or? Like a grenade in a backpack. Yeah. Um, okay. So my three things, I love the tone. I love the character arcs. I love the emotional payoffs. So dislikes that I have are in the realm of such like small little nitpicks mm-hmm. that I'm that I'm not going to bring them up here because maybe when we drill down on some specific episode beats I'll be able to say something but my overall sweeping likes are I love the tone I've already alluded to that you know the 80s nostalgia button the arcs of the characters um, I'll just say in brief that I didn't like Steve and I didn't like Hopper but the show makes me sure, by the sure, end sure. actually really kind of love them. Right. So so I love that there's arcs to those characters. Right. Um, and the emotional payoffs. You and I talked off pod about how like the first half feels kind of like you're setting something up, but by that second half, there's some undeniably effective emotional beats, sure. particularly in episodes seven and eight. Well, I would even say my favorite episode of the series is six, and we'll get to that when we get to it. But there's some emotional payoffs to all of that that I think are really strong, mm-hmm. that I think are rooted in world and character and right, you know right. the, the connective dangling threads that you've been building towards. So my overall like is I just love the care and attention that was given to to those specific elements. Um uh, yes, I, I totally agree with those two items, and and I'm I'm gonna throw out two kind of likes, broad likes. Um, one sort of technical, and one sort of well, I guess both are a little technical. These could be packaged by episode, but I feel like I'll, I'll quit prefacing them. I love love the conceit of the Christmas lights. Yeah, how it yeah, and 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 the reason like that one you could highlight specific episodes, but I feel like it recurs enough to feel like okay, this is a real touch point. Sure, of the season, like it is so inventive and creative, and it's it's perfect imagery that is organically implemented and perfectly realized. Sure. Like it's not just oh, you just wanted some sort of t-shirt option for your merchandise you know it's like no this is really expertly employed and it and it comes back up multiple times in really organic fashion yeah um so i loved that um it's it's really something that you you gotta imagine creatively when they stumbled into that it's like oh yeah yeah that's very cool sure sure. (laughs) oh yeah um and and something again this is one of those you could highlight a specific episode where this happens but to me it speaks so strongly of the the wisdom of the creative arc and also when you set stranger things against a lot of its peers i think the show does such an impressive job i remember thinking this the first time of making all the story tracks align organically mm-hmm. um you know you and i talked about this previous to actual recording but like it, that doesn't mean I don't think there's not any fat on on sure, the season. Sure, especially in the first half. Yeah, I think I think the diversion with the the father or the ex husband 
ultimately means nothing kind of, yeah, you know, uh, things like that where you're like, ah, you, you could have trimmed five or 10 minutes from a couple of episodes to get rid of that. But in terms of, because think about the shows we've loved over the years, even, e- yeah, even the ones you've loved that you could look back and say, yeah, but overall there are some things you could cut to make it tighter, sure. um, to make it work. Or <laughs> what sticks out to me when I'm having this conversation is I think of, um, um, Kim Bauer in 24. Oh, like okay. Oh, yeah. Season one-ish yeah. or so, it, she worked, it worked, the things worked, the puzzle worked. The further that show got, the less the less that character mattered whatsoever. Yeah, to where they ever battling a mountain lion. Right, yeah. right, and getting stuck in a bear trap. Yeah, and and, dumb. and to the point that that becomes, kind of like in Happy Days, Jump the Shark, that has become a sort of talking, a, a shorthand for when sure. you're getting it wrong, yeah, you know, right, right, is, right. is Bear Trap and, and and Bobcat in 24, yeah. Um, whereas this season, at least, and and this is why I'm always so trepidatious of of follow up material. But season one of Stranger Things does a perfect job of of threading all of these arcs into one narrow focus, to the point that even the actual, you know, in other words, season seven. Ha- I mean, episode seven happens and everyone's converging, right. Even when they spin off from that, it's all the same. Yes, it all is to a to a single singular point. Sure. As opposed to like it'd be one thing if they just all converge in episode seven and that was it, and then we kind of lose Steve or whatever. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, but but it all kind of makes this nice little bow on the end. Right. Um, which leads me to another question for you. I don't know if you remember this. There was a lot of conversation around. Uh, season one of whether or not and whether it was intended ultimately that that the show be an anthology series. Oh, right. Yeah, right. I do remember And this is where that conversation gets precarious because season one of Stranger Things is not a perfect piece of media, but it is very strong. Uh, Yeah, I agree. To the point that you're like, you know. know, like... It's, it'd be one thing if you still maintained kind of the upside down paradigm and just shifted characters to another whatever. Right. Like, that's kind of cool. I can go with you on that. And in fact, part of me wants you to do that. Sure. Right, right, right. But this is where you get into this interesting world we're in right now in terms of IP and, and production. Like, those the kid cast hit a chord pop culture wise. Yeah. The upside down hit a chord pop culture wise. I don't blame people for resisting that temptation sure. to shift. Right. But it's still a, a delicate balance now. Cause, right. Because you, you almost lower the expectation if you shift it. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't, agree. I don't, you know, like think of like a true detective. True this detective gonna, season one is uh, great. Go I'm going to interrupt ahead. you because uh, the uh, I was going to make this joke. I was just waiting for like a stopping point. And this is going to be real meta to fans of true detective. I saw an article like a week or two after it was announced that Netflix was going to renew Stranger Things for season two, and it said Colin Farrell and Vince Vaughn cast in season two of Stranger Things. It was like a joke. As a joke? No, it was a joke. Oh, 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 oh. It was a complete joke. That's funny. But it was alluding to, sure. you know, you have a phenomenon that is undeniable, and then it's going to go back and it's like, well, good luck. Right. Good luck holding yeah. up to the expectations. Yeah. Good luck holding up. And, you know, uh, listeners of this episode will already know right. how they feel right, about right, Stranger right. Things Season 2. But, you know, for us in this pocket of time, uh, yeah, it, I, I think that's absolutely valid where it's like, well, now you've made this huge beast. 
how are you going to follow up sure, on sure. on that level of pro- I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody who has not seen the show. I mean, I, I I'm sure I know there are multitudes of people sure, out there sure, who don't sure. have streaming and don't watch Netflix and and don't order. In my circle of people, I don't know anyone. Right, I have not right, been able right. to locate anyone who has not watched the show. And I'm, you've asked everyone. I've asked everybody. <laughs> I've asked everybody. Sawyer's seen it. I don't know how, but you know, like, uh, but no. So so in general, uh, yeah, I, I do think there's a ton of pressure around. Uh, how are they going to capitalize on the success of season one and still make and season two? Has a ton of goodwill towards it, and it's got a lot to lose. Right. So if it right. doesn't, right. if it doesn't hit certain beats correctly or in a in a strong way, then uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll, well see. and interestingly, doing my own sort of trivial bit hunting before recording, I just saw as part of the the PR for season two, the Duffers have announced, or Netflix uh, by way of them have announced. They are angling for four seasons. Yeah, and, and um, four and done. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that the the what I just read alluded to the potential for a five, but that the four is kind of the perfect number for them right now in terms sure. of what they're doing and where they're heading. Right. And I think, I think if if that's if that's the approach, I'm okay with that. I just think whenever you have this explosive. You know, it's 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 not throwing a pebble into the lake; it's throwing a boulder into the pond. Like the level to which that hit pop culturally, sure, you know, into right, the right, zeitgeist. Right. Man, you've got a lot to live up to yep. for your own self. You know, it's almost like you want the you you got to imagine there's conversations where like, oh crap, yeah, no, let's just totally switch it, please. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. like it just totally lowers different. the expectations. Sure, right. Anyway, so that's sort of addressing some overall thoughts about um, season one of Stranger. We'll go kind of episode by episode, um, address likes, dislikes, address some scares. Um, like I said, guys, this is going to be a, a rather robust conversation, um, but there's a lot of material to cover here. So let's jump in. So episode one or chapter one, The Vanishing of Will Byers. Um, dude, this theme music yes, is, yes. is insanely good. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Netflix, I don't know if it doesn't do this on mobile devices, but Netflix on the TV these days, I, I don't, I don't know if it's a bad device or what, but these days you can skip the intro. It just, is that an option? Really? Uh, not that I've seen. I don't know if it's like an update, but like when I was watching Defenders a couple, a couple of months ago, um, you know, it gives you the option to skip the intro. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, let's just get onto it. Sure, but, right. So with Stranger Things, watching it in the house on the TV through the Apple TV, um, it would give me that option. I'm like, no. Is, not for this. This is too no. amazing. I just yeah. love every time that cute music cue kicks in. 
Yeah, and um, that is very much evocative intentionally of John Carpenter. Sure. Like, sure, that sure. that has John Carpenter all over it. There's plenty of things that are amalgams of Spielberg and King and Carpenter. That theme music is very much... Well, and I've also heard it uh, called out to, like, a lot of... In the 80s, you had, like, synthesizer yeah, scores, yeah, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, that, that, that theme music is wonderful. Yeah, so, so episode one just sort of sets up so much. I mean, the casting is fantastic. It really is. More or less down the line, I don't... There are a few quibbles I have with some character choices at a certain point or, or how some characters are, are uh, drawn. But in terms of casting in general, I don't feel like there's a bad actor. You know no, what I mean? Like, yeah, I there's, agree. there's no one I would look at and be like, eh, I hate every time that person's on screen. Nothing like that. So I hate, I hate to do this, but I, I still don't quite love Jonathan and Nancy. I said, like... I agree with you. Do you mean the performers the or performers, the, the character yeah. arcs? Occasionally, oh. occasionally, Jonathan and Nancy as performers, uh-huh. uh, a little a little bit I can see the strings. A little bit I can like, uh, they don't feel totally organic and natural to me. Um, but that's a that's that's like a nitpicking thing. Sure. Uh, other than that, unilaterally I agree. I yeah. think and yeah. I even think Jonathan and Nancy have some really strong moments. Yes. Um, I just feel like that those two performances are not as uniformly consistent as some of the other performances right. in the show. Now, had you, I, and and it's possible if I scanned his IMDb, I would find stuff. I I was unfamiliar with David Harbour. Yeah, me too. I, I don't know. He's and so yeah, good. I have to do the same He's thing. so good. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. And I did, as I mentioned earlier. Have you earlier, seen the Hellboy images? Yes. Oh great. man, he looks better great. than Perlman did. I, I'm like, oh man, it's you fantastic. You be careful. You're going to lose some listeners with that statement. I know, right? <laughs> no, I know. That's probably true. But, but no, I think, I think he looks fantastic. But, the um, like I said, I didn't initially like Hopper. I thought going into it that Hopper is going to be the authoritative figure that's going to be a problem gotcha. that they've got gonna to bypass. Yeah, right. because a couple of times, when in many ways, he's got almost the most profound emotional arc. I completely agree, yeah. especially once you get to eight and you start seeing his backstory. Right, right. Um, but I think, yeah, initially, uh, even though it's a strong performance throughout the show, initially, narratively, I didn't. I thought they were going a different place with Hopper. Sure, sure. So I thought these kids are going to be the heroes of the show. Joyce Byers is going to be one of the heroes of the show, and basically, we're going to have Hopper and the as an obstacle. Pe- yeah, Hopper and the people from Hawkins in the way. Um, you mean the lab? The uh, is yeah, Hawkins is the town. Are? Yeah, so so the lab, the yeah, people from the yeah. lab in the way. Modine. And so instead, what we get is very quickly, and I'll tell you when we get there. There's a very specific moment when I was like, I love Hopper. Yeah. Whatever he does yeah. from this point on, I love him. And I'll tell you when we get there. It's not in episode one because I spent the first few episodes like I don't do that. So yeah, I will say, actually doubling back a little bit on my um, performances and, and character comment. As a and as as an extremely strong dislike to the point of hate. Um, I don't hate the actor because I don't know him. I hate the execution of Nancy's dad. I really do. Oh, like, okay, okay. I think I I get and maybe this is my sensitivity as an actual father. I really hate the dumb dad trope. I think it is I a it. weak shortcut. Um, I don't know. I just think there are. I think there were better options. Yeah. Story wise, so I'm about to agree with you. It's going to sound initially like I'm not. <laughs> it's going to sound. And that, I appreciate like, the olive branch. That's the thing is no. That's the thing is like I've disagreed with you so much. I don't want you to yeah, kick back because I, I know. Like, I know. Are you kicking me off the show? No. Here's what I'm. Here's what I will say. Um, you're completely right. The 
dumb dad trope. I will say, as a moment of defense, and then I'm going to agree with you, as a moment of defense, the dumb dad trope is a staple of the 80s. Like, to the degree of that's why I didn't trust Hopper, because the dumb authority figure is right, also right, a right, staple right. of the 80s, which is why I agree with you. They went a different place with Hopper. Easily could have done that with sure. the father as well. Yes. And they didn't. So that's... And I think... And- I think there are moments where you sort of wonder if they are, but he's so incidental, it just doesn't yes, matter. And, right. And they kind of flirt with that a little bit with what they do with the mom. Right. But Well, she's but, present in yes. the story. And yeah. it's either like, well, either just have them divorced, have them, I don't, anyway, I, I, I was so annoyed. Mm. I remember that feeling first watching the show. I was like, oh God, that's he's, terrible. Yeah, what a poor character. And, and I will say, they attempt to redeem it narratively by Jonathan and Nancy's conversation in the woods. Sure. Later. Right, so, so I right. like that. Right. And you're, you are doing something with that. Sure. But in the moment, it just feels so kind of, it feels like a shortcut. It yeah, feels like no, you, you didn't do the work. You just painted a really broad picture. Sure. I get um, here's something. Uh, so this is all still episode one on sort of likes, dislikes to me. Winona Ryder starts at an 11. Yes, and, and the and the rest of the show has to catch up to her. I agree with that in yeah. a way that's mm-hmm. a little like okay, okay, yeah. you know. I agree with that. Um, yeah. Eventually, the show does catch up to her, and that's great. Sure, but I mean, she starts really strong right out the gate. Right. Um, I think the show is just fantastic. You you address this as an overall, but in that first episode of establishing the vibe and the tone, you know, yes. like it's just yeah you, that opening sequence. In. That the opening the opening scene with the boys in the playing Dungeons and Dragons in yeah, the, the, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was just yeah I, I I was immediately sold I was immediately like I love this I don't know where they're going but I love it it's just, it's it's so great it evoked everything that I had you know that I love about Stephen King everything that I love about John Carpenter everything I love about the eighties Spielberg like I just it, it was such an immediate not just the fact that they're playing D and D because that's a, that's incidental sure. but the camaraderie between those right, boys. Right. Um, when Will Byers says, the Demogorgon, he got me. I knew. I was like, this is where our show's going. Something's going to happen. I mean, and the episode's called The Disappearance of Will Byers. But, sure. but I knew. I was like, oh, man, this is great. That means you're going to have a monster. Right, right, right. He's going to get Will. Only one monster, though. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm right, just kidding. right. So, but... You're going to have a monster. He's going to get Will. Right. We're going to have to recover. And I knew, like, these boys are going to be integral to right, the recovery. Right, right. And, I was, and I immediately started getting excited. I was sure. like, this, this is great. This is, this is phenomenal. So, yeah, I, I think they really set the tone very well from the very beginning. Did you have any other likes, dislikes for episode no, one? No, no, no. I've got one scare, and that's that's it from episode one. Well, what's, what's your scare? Because I'm so, leading the way with the... Other, the, other than the... Well, I say of one scare. Other than the, you know, bypassing the Demogorgon, because I'll mention other things about him in later episodes. My big shocker from season one, or yeah, sorry, episode one, is the death of Benny, uh, the restaurant owner. Is that in episode one? That's in episode one. Yeah, uh, episode one. It's at the very end when he he shows up, or like when he when uh, Eleven shows up at his doorstep and right. he sort of takes her in, and then. Child services, quote unquote, shows right, up. Right. But then when they just take him out, yeah. For me, that immediately was like, oh, okay. Right. So, because because did I had you, already did you as a random trivial bit, did you catch who that actor is? Oh yeah, he's from This Is Us. Yeah, he's yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Because normally in This Is Us, he wears a a, a suit to make well, him look he's larger. Utterly, he's utterly uh, facial hairless. Not in season two. 
That's why oh. I caught it. Is because in season two of This Is Us, Toby, his oh, character, has a beard. Any of season two, yeah. So when we watched season one, that's funny. Yeah, he's also in Guardians of the Galaxy too. Uh, I didn't catch him he's there. He's Taserface. He's Taserface. Yeah. That's so fun. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, anyway, but but so when he's taken out, we've already talked about like the situation with Will Byers and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons and everything. I kind of had an instinct about this is where that show's going to go. But when I first see Eleven, I'm like, what is this? And how does this play into it? So then, when he's taken out, the stakes for her sure, immediately sure, sure. elevate. And so then I'm sitting here like, oh, crap. That means she's on the run. She's somehow connected to all this. She's on the run. And I knew then, at that moment, like, now she's going to fall in line with the three right. boys. And now it's going to get even harder for them. And immediately well, I did, And this, this may inadvertently, I think this is going to be unavoidable at a certain point. But um, I don't mean to elevate a, an episode one conversation into the whole thing. But I love... To your point about Eleven, I love that what that does is Hopper is chasing Eleven thinking it's Will most of the season. Yes. Like that's, just, that's a great yes. kind of, you know, if you're not paying attention, you're suddenly you're like, oh, wow, yeah, that is what's happening. Right. And, and that's a really strong narrative choice. Yeah, couldn't, you know? couldn't agree more. Um, I think for me, the only real, uh, and, and, and it's scary more in the sense that it's it's hard to remember exactly when I first watched it what actually was scary and what was not, but I do love the climax of episode one with Will in the shed with the Democrat. Yes, I mean yes. that's a really well executed sequence. Absolutely. Um, you know the light. Uh, I, I love in general, as I alluded with the Christmas lights. I love what they do with kind of the electricity stuff and how sure. the upside down is interacting with mm-hmm. the, the right side up. <laughs> right, if you will. But overall, that would probably be the bulk of what I would have for scares of episode one. So jumping into episode two, episode two is uh, by chapter title, The Weirdo on Maple Street. I actually don't have a ton of likes, dislikes. Um, I feel like it's a a bit of a, a, I'm hesitant to call it a filler episode because there's only eight of them. I do have a number of scares, but my only thing I wrote down for likes, dislikes is I'll stop the world and melt with you. (laughs) love, you know, this, this, the season itself has a lot of great uh, music cues. Uh, that one in particular, it is kind of hard to just not get swept up in that scene. Sure, and, sure. Uh, especially with that particular music cue. What, what do you have in terms of likes, dislikes? So to be honest, it's, it's my least favorite episode of the, of the season. Mm. Um, I remember in this rewatch, this was the first time in this, in episode two was the first time in the rewatch that I remember thinking, huh, I hope this still holds up because... In the rewatch of episode two, I remember thinking, huh, there's a lot of setup here. There's a lot of... Does every thought you had to yourself start with, huh? It does. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I just want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> but when they... You know, it is evocative of the... Uh, so the title is called The Weirdo on Maple Street. Uh, that's a call out to a Twilight Zone episode called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. The, the very intentional. Um, but I think in season two, it is the most... Episode it, two? Sorry. Episode. I keep saying season know, and know, substitute for episode. Hard. but it too. But for episode two, I think, is, other than season one, the most sort of set up, just get us from sure, point A to sure. point B episode. So I have... One major, it's not really like a scare. I'll actually mention it here uh, because it's 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 really the only note that I have for it is I do love the moment. It's freaky and I love it when she first, Joyce first realizes that the electricity is connected to, to Will mm-hmm. somehow. That somehow she begins to contextualize because that's what leads us. Right, we'll right. get there next episode. But 
um, she begins to contextualize, wait a second, I believe Will is having an impact on what's happening in the electricity sure, in the house. Sure. And so that moment is freaky, but also a little the exciting. Where she, uh, it might be in that episode, too, where she's in the little cubby with the strand. Yes. You know, the kind of white strand. Exactly. Yeah, and like yeah. the ball. Yeah, and she's yeah, like yeah. trying to yeah. make it oh, work. Oh, the yes, no. Exactly. Yeah, yes. So, um, so it's that moment that I really, I really love that moment. But other than that, and this, man, this may be... Uh, mean of me but other than other than sort of that realization i could largely discard episode two there's actually some good stuff i, I wrote down in scares I, i'm pretty sure this is an episode two we'd, we'd have to um go back and check for sure but i'm pretty sure in episode two it's the latter part of it and it's coinciding it's parallel with the pool um party where 11 finally illustrates the upside down using the D mm. board i can't remember if it's there or uh, if it's in three but i will say it's in two um i'm gonna tell you it's in two (laughs) um and i just think it's such a perfect moment like it is for us as viewers Mm. it is contextualizing a lot it's a it's it is that sort of um well i'll get to this in a later episode but it's one of those shorthands that just works like i don't need a ton of exposition you just did a really good show and not tell sort of thing right right sort of narratively um and it really works um I did write down, uh, this would actually qualify to me for scares, is, man, I would totally be Barb. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like awkward in the face of peer pressure. Sure. uh, sure. Stupidly slicing my finger when trying to be cool and do the thing. Like, I'm like, I feel you, girl. Maybe that's why I need Barb. Maybe maybe I am one of those people. Maybe I need some (laughs) resolution justice for Barb. Right, right. Um, But even her uh, abduction, you know, which not getting to seeing her in the upside down, but her sitting on the pool on the sure. uh, diving board. That's and then great, just great. That is a great scene, regardless of the potential dismissibility of some of episode two. That's a great moment. That is a great moment. I, mean, I will say that. really yeah. in a way that because, because uh, you know, th- there's will going missing and then there's now Barb is not an adult, but she's not a child either. It's like suddenly, sure. Oh, kind of anybody's game you right, know like right. like anybody's uh on the table um so yeah i mean that would kind of be the bulk of episode two for me sure um now we start to get into uh some of the more meat of the show with episode three called holly jolly man just to start i love the just general aesthetic uh production wise of the upside down Sure. Oh, I yeah. And it's so yeah. good. And, that and that's our first scene, real, I think, isn't that our first real glimpse in it is when Barb oh, is in it. Yeah. 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 Is, is because that opening scene is her in the pool. Right. And Trying to get up. And that's great. Yes, I agree. That's I agree. a great start to that episode. <laughs> I wrote down a really bad word with a lot of uh, vowels in it here that starts with an S and ends with a T, which is the scene with Nancy and her mom when Nancy comes home from Steve's like as the father as a parent of children specifically a bunch of girls I'm like oh my god yeah probably actually should be under scares um (laughs) just a pure dislike but oh god yeah what a dreadful what a dreadful future um um I did write down so this is the episode where uh Dustin is trying to challenge Eleven to lift the Millennium Falcon 
Oh, sure. Like, sure. I don't know enough about vintage toys to be able to recognize if that is a true vintage Millennium Falcon, but you know if it is, there was a pillow under that seat. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, there yeah, is no yeah. way they're endangering that thing. No kidding. Right, For the production. Because right. whoever they borrowed it from said, <laughs> you put a pillow under that. That's <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's so um, funny. What are a couple of likes, dislikes you have? So, the biggest thing that I had is, uh, and it's a clear evocation of E.T., is when Eleven is finally exploring the house. So, oh, oh know, yeah, yeah. Mike's yeah. Finally gone to school and and you know the house is empty. She's just sort of wandering around. She discovers the television with the commercials and everything. I love that. It's it's again pushing a bit of the nostalgia button. Um, the the other big thing that I have, and I don't know whether to put this under scares or no, it's not a scare. I do love the game changer of they've pulled Will's body out at the it's at the end of three mm-hmm. with Peter Gabriel's version of Heroes right. and and. So when when they pull that out because, the, you know, she's explained to them the upside down. It's possible for us to find Will somewhere. Will is somewhere and needs our help. So then they get to that quarry and they pull his body out. First time through, I was like, crap. Like, what in the world are we are we doing next? Because you had already gotten the sensibility that... Joyce is possibly communicating with him. Right. So what does all of this mean? Like, is he dead and it's just his spirit? Or, you know, what is what is this thing? So I just love that narrative beat because it's a real game changer, a stake raiser. Um, so I just think that I think that that was really smart on their part to um, to put that in and to this make that. This is so funny. Like, I because it's so episode specific, I wouldn't have put it in a broader context. I actually hate it. Really? Yes. Oh, really wow. Do. I think it is utterly unnecessary, partly because, again, it's sort of like the, oh, you're endangering Jack Bauer. I know you're not going to kill him. Like, I, as an audience member, okay. if I'm be- now, again, it relies a bit on believing that Joyce is actually communicating with him. But I know he's not dead. Oh, I see. I, I know the name of episode one is The Vanishing of Will Byers. Oh, is it? I know yeah. the arc of the se- season is The Hunt for Will Byers. Mm-hmm. I just, and to me as a viewer, I felt like, and it's funny because... I'm I'm going to borrow from episode four really quickly before we actually get to it. To me, the scene that begins episode four, mm-hmm. which is Will on the walkie, right? To me, that should have ended three, because to me, three with the body is such a fake out. It's it oh. is. I just don't buy it. I think and this this gets into several future things. A lot of the attention they pay to the the fake body to mm-hmm. me is is a weakness it, it doesn't interesting it doesn't because i know i just know it's not there and it's one thing for me as the viewer to know a thing that the audience doesn't i mean that the characters don't know it's another thing with how hard they sell and, and we'll get into some of some of those other elements when they get to like the funeral and stuff like that but i i felt like it was i felt it felt manipulative like interesting okay like, well i mean i could see that in yeah. a way that just imagine you, you know using our imagination for a second take the the will walkie-talkie conversation and right. plug it in at the end of episode three I, then i'm like oh okay yeah yeah mm-hmm. like that's right that right. is correct this is what's supposed to be happening something else nefarious is happening instead they leave you with the sense oh he's just dead yeah, and that feels okay. False and awkward to me. I could I could see that. So let me ask you this for yeah. clarification's sake: Do you dislike that the plot is there, or you dislike specifically that they just introduce that plot and end it where they do on three? Do you dislike that the plot is there at all? Um, this this borrows from some future episodes, but that's okay. Um, I think it stretches believability 
that the characters even flirt with buying into it. Oh, it stretches, it stretches okay. ble- creatively, as you alluded to. Mm-hmm. I know this season is about the hunt for well buyers. Mm-hmm. You you have you have led me to that. So so in a way, it does feel like a cheat. Okay. Um, I know that's where we're heading. I know any attempt to to falsify his death, or rather, I know when we get there, I'm like, this doesn't feel right. That's it's right. As opposed to, oh no, like. To me, it was like this isn't this isn't correct. And now uh-huh. you're playing beautiful Peter Gabriel heroes, right? And you're having the kids get real emotional, which again is sort of okay, just sure. With how you tie it off, and I don't, I think they leave it. So to follow the question you're actually asking, I hate that there's a funeral mm. um, because the funeral happens after Hopper has cut the body open, right? And that's knows true. Yes. it yes. makes zero sense. Now that I won't even disagree with you. the The funeral itself. Um, she would have seen that body before they put it in the casket. Well, yeah. So, so yes, maybe they don't. I mean, okay. But again, we're, we're wrestling with things we aren't shown. And what we aren't shown is a mother who is grieving, who is being asked that we are being asked to believe is buying in potentially. She is not right. No, but that's, that's the thing. She, what I love is she never buys it for a second. She doesn't. And believe I guess what I'm saying, second. yes. And I guess what I'm saying is, creatively, that's a lot of work mm-hmm. down a, an utter dead end. Like, well, m- maybe I'll convince you when I get to themes, because one of my themes hinges on her seeing that body. One of my themes hinges on a mother who feels her son is not lost, sees tangible evidence in front of her that he is, and that's fine. And, but we always we always import themes that we extrapolate as opposed to what the sure, the material sure. actually does the work of giving us. Right, and right. So to me, it, it, this this wasn't with even. I'm not trying to convince you to like sure, the plot. Sure, sure, sure. I'm just kicking back to why I do. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think on the secondary viewing, I was kind of hopeful. Well, maybe I because the strength you're hearing in my tone about this plot point was was in the first viewing. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it felt false. It felt sure contrived. Um, in a way, in a way that as we talk about the fat on the show, like I think you could have sliced a little bit of where that goes out and sure. were none the worse for wear because it's just a lot of work to to buy in this whole town now. Because what does that mean? Follow that all the way. Mm-hmm. What that means now is a whole town is like because they show this newspaper clipping in the end. Right. The boy who came back from the dead. Right. Okay, so what are we telling the what are we telling the town? Does the town know about the upside down? Like there's just so many questions that sure. opens in no, a I way get that. that are unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um I get anyway, that. Anyway, so I, I didn't mean to drill down so hard on that, but uh you still did drill down. Still keeping hard. with Well, it's it, I'm not it's allowed just, to like something so, you don't like. No, no, it was so funny. I felt bad as you were describing how much you loved it cuz I'm staring at my notes thinking, man, Oh, that's uh, funny. I, what I have is the Will Body fake out. It's unnecessary. Is it poor editing? We know it's not him, but they sell it so hard. We, the viewer, and that's the thing. We never see the body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not sold to us. And if you can't, if you're not selling it to me, I know it's not. I mean, we, you know, genre fair is part and parcel of our sort of media consumption. Right, right. You got to see a body. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, so, yeah. As a lead in to four, unless you had more for three. I, I do. Oh, um, do that, and then I'll, I'll make. Because I, because we didn't address some scares on three, um, Barb and the Upside Down is pretty intense. Oh, very much so. Um, I love it, but I forgot about Baby Holly and Will's room. 
That's mm. a freaky moment. Yes. You know? Oh, yes. Because because Will's been taken, Barb's been taken, now there's this baby, and the thing starts coming through the wall. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, that is terrifying. And then lastly, I mean, I think it, I think the episode ends uh, with the R-U-N run. That's mm. uh, so fantastic. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, which again is with the fake out, because that happens immediately before the before the body gets found. The uh, three ends with the oh yeah yeah with them all running like okay are you and, in, and, and maybe that's that. that's again uh, you know it feels like you undercut how strong that moment is when who we think is Will tells her yeah. to run because the monster is coming after her and then we immediately cut to not immediately but then we cut to this plot point of you found a body it's like right how are these things even you know complementary right. of each other and i think just and this will be my lead into four because i think i think that's the thing for me the body uh the discovery of the body and i mean we're thinking is it preposterous i wouldn't disagree for a second is it preposterous that the lab technicians have created a even a vaguely resembling this disappearing boy when we have no evidence that they know where he is in the Upside Down or anything like that. Why didn't they do that for Barb and all this other sort of stuff. That part of it, I won't even disagree with. What I do love about it is I love what it does to the characters because, and I'm going to say this, and I don't want to discuss it now because we'll get into it in themes. Now, I'm I'm saying just just for time sensitivity, not not saying you can't have an opinion on it, Um, that... At that moment, one of my major themes from the show is ignoring all circumstantial evidence and not giving up on somebody. Sure. So, 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 so to that end, I love the the body plot point, right? Because it's circumstantial and tangible for the boys, for Will's mom, for um, even you know for Will's brother, for Hopper, everything. It's like, why do you not? Why are you still holding out hope? Right. Why? Because sure. every every piece of evidence before you says abandon hope. Right. Because this is it. And there's conversations about come to grips with reality and everything. Sure. And and so anyway, we'll we'll get into it when we get into themes. But narratively and objectively, I can't fight too hard for it. Thematically, I will put on the boxing gloves and go to bat for the presence of a body, the presence of a fabricated body, because of what it does to Joyce well, and to the boys. Well, I think where I will agree with you is the difference between the presence of a fabricated body and the presence of some plot point that determines for others that he is dead. I just Like think, the finding of clothes. Sure, or fin- whatever. Yeah, Something yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a little more plausible. You used a good word there. A little more plausible than asking of the viewer... Because there, because again, as much as I love so much about the show, it's it sticks out like a sore thumb to me that you never see that body up close. Mm-hmm. You know, like when they pull it out of the water, the boys are watching from a distance. Right, right. I mean, you see it up close when he cuts it open, but that's later. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And when and and so then bridge that gap from he cuts it open. There's just a lot of there are too many question marks for it to remain. I, I am with you, and I, and don't disagree. And in fact, one of the things I wrote down for thematic is is about that sort of hope in the face of you know not uh, others not supporting it. But um, I just think as a as the plot choice they chose, right. I'm like, eh, you could have done some other things that don't force me to buy into a thing that I don't buy into. Sure, for sure, yeah. The plausibility is a big stretch. Um, most specifically, that the lab technicians could have could have created it. 
yeah, to and, fool anybody. Well, and 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 they even address in there what first what first, and this is getting into I think episode four, but what they Hopper's first clue of like what? So I said earlier, uh, way earlier now at this point for listeners, but I said earlier there was a moment when I came on board with Hopper. Mm-hmm. That moment is when he knocks the guard out to go investigate the body. Sure. Because at that moment, I knew definitively Hopper's not an obstacle. He's an ally. Because at that, because when he knocks him out and his first clue that something's weird is like, who did the autopsy? Right. And right. they're like, well, no, the normal guy didn't do the autopsy. And he's like, what? The normal guy? Because at the top of episode four, Joyce goes in and investigates the body. When she investigates the body, she comes out. And when she comes out, and man, I love this moment. Because when she comes out, uh, I think it is at the end of three. I can't, I can't quite remember if it's at the end of three or if it's in four. No, it's at the end of four, so I'll save it for them. Um, she comes out, and when she comes out, uh, you know, she's already had the experience with the lights, the little small sure, lights, and sure. then she's put up the big Christmas lights in three, and she's trying to get it all to work. So she's already in a track of like, I believe there's hope. I believe mm-hmm. there's hope. Right. When she comes barreling out of that office and she's like, that, I don't know what that is, but that's not my son. Right. right I don't know right, what that right, is, right. but that's not him. So, And then even her other son is sitting there, Mom, what are you saying? You're, you're, you're off your rocker now. You're right, insane. Right. She's the sanest one in that room in that moment. Sure. And, and so I just love that everybody else is sitting there looking at her like kind of sideways. And the reason I get on board for Hopper is because narratively Hopper is the first to objectionably believe her. Sure. Now he sure, doesn't sure. tell her. He doesn't have a moment where he's like, "I believe you," and everything. Like that. Right. But he's the first one to be like, "Maybe she's right. Sure. Maybe maybe something's going on here." And so that's when I came on board with Hopper of sure. like, "All right, now now I'm Team Hopper the whole rest of the show." Yeah. You know, and it is very rooted in how can you deny a body. How can you? How can you deny like like sure. clothes? Uh, maybe some serial killers got him, and maybe you're out there somewhere uh, missing. He's still missing, and until right, we have right, tangible right, evidence, right, right. he's still is missing. But how can you continue to hold out hope when you have a body? Right. And so and so then what I love about it is most definitively is Joyce's being like, nope, that's that's not him, and and I'm gonna keep doing this this search this hunt and hopper i just love the moment too hopper's sitting there he's like no i was you know i've been authorized by the the and he takes a beat and then he goes okay and just punches the guy i just yeah yeah i i I love no everything and and i think that. that you you make a strong case and 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 i would agree with what the presence of a a body the fake body does and i i totally it's still implausible it's still very implausible i think that's what i really struggled with is is just and especially kind of the funeral thing like it bothers me that if she's as committed and convinced as she is she wouldn't go you know what i mean like just just there are a few fuzzy choices that get made based and that's the ground zero for it i really could see there being this ripple effect of her refusing to go to the funeral right right i I, now that would have been a really strong narrative choice and could have gone some interesting places so i do see that because yeah. um, then, you know, Jonathan could be even further convinced. Because certainly, that, I, I mean, now I can't remember, but Hopper's not at the funeral, right? I can't remember if he is there's or not. Because if, think if he that's is. the case, and I don't think he is, but even that, like, there's just no way. You, he you've knows cut open that's a body. Right, 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 right. It's um, cotton, yeah. 
anyway, so that's that's episode four, right? Or yes, that three. Uh, and I think that's I think that's the last that. Oh, oh, I did have this on uh, on scares for episode four. Is just um, her first glimpse of of the of the upside down. You know, the, her first her who, who Joyce. Joyce's first glimpse of the upside down is is in the is 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 in episode four where um, the uh, that's when like Will tells her to run because the monster's right, coming right. through. But what I love about it, and I loved it the first time through too. Again, uh, to tease some thematic stuff, is Joyce's adamance to not give up on Will is really affecting to me. Sure, like sure. it it's deeply it's deeply moving to me. Um, the fact that you know uh, her own other son is saying like, "Hey, it's hopeless." Mm-hmm. Um, but that moment, she's seen the monster kind of come through the wall, mm-hmm. and then Will tells her to run. Right. So she runs out to the car, and she gets in the car. And I loved this the first time through. She 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 gets in the car, and then, and I think I can't remember if this is at the end of three. No, no, no. It's it's the begin. It's it's in four because the body's already in play. But then she's sitting there, and then she decides, like, okay, I'm going to go back in. Right, right. And that, yeah. like, I almost came out the couch the first time I watched it because I was sitting there. I was like, that is amazing. Sure. Like, this is a, this is a, a potentially, like, just ostensibly just a frail little woman. Right. She's not right, old, right, but, right, but right. Joyce right. is not yeah. an imposing presence. Yeah. yeah. And she's a little frantic, and she's, she's kind of cuckoo. So, but she's sitting there. She's like... She's going to enter back into the fray. Sure. She's not going to let that just lie. And that was deeply moving to me. The fact of, like, I have really no hope. Right, of, right, right if, right. if something were to go south, I have really no chance. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to go in sure. and that I'm not sure. going to continue to pursue holding out hope and chasing after that. So I'm sure we'll get a lot more into that when we get into themes, but sort of wrap a bow on all of that. Um, episode Episode five. The flea and the acrobat. This is when, you know, the gears really start to turn and plot and character all starts kind of clicking into a positive place and and momentum is occurring. Um, For me, likes, dislikes, one one like and one dislike because I'm going to ignore the funeral dislike because we talked about that. Sure. Previously. Um... I want to end on a positive note, so I'm going to start with the dislike. Up until this episode, and even maybe a couple after it, it does come around at a certain point. But I struggle with how one note the character Lucas is. Okay. Um, he, he, for much of the season, is just kind of that obstacle. He gives Mike crap at every turn. He right, He right. Eleven at every turn. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. At a certain point, I was like, okay, you know, this is this is just what we're kind of expecting from him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that really was kind of annoying. The love, I won't even categorize as a like. I love, I think it's towards the end of episode five, which is what we're talking about now. I love the juxtaposition of the kids reading about the Veil of Shadows while Hopper is infiltrating the lab. Like sure. Just this oh, back yes. Back and forth. Yeah. Um, to the point where I started wondering, like, as I sort of, and we talked about a little bit in, in the, the first half of this conversation, of what may be to come in season two and beyond and that sort of thing. I This is not where they're going. Or rather, I really doubt this is where they're going. And I, part of me would not really want this. 
but the D and D imagery and what the upside down actually is, is so connected, connected. Right. Right. That part of me is like, are we ultimately getting to a place where the kids are actually somehow manifesting this on their uh, own? You know what right, I mean? Like, right, like, right, right, right. Because and the Mirkwood and yeah, yeah I mean yeah, the Veil yeah. of Shadows description while Hawk while Hopper is exploring is so actually what's happening. Sure, right. You right. know, and so it's like, well, is that a meta creative thing where you're just sort of borrowing this imagery and using mm. it for your story? But I did love zeroing back in on the show itself, the episode itself. I did love that sequence of them in the basement talking through sure what that is while he's exploring oh yeah absolutely um this is a i'll i'll start with a i don't even know if it's quite a dislike it was just an uncomfortable thing i i i'm i was uncomfortable through the whole like the dissolving of the trio is pretty rough like lucas Mm. and mike getting into it culminating in 11 like blasting lucas away you know which that's intense you know that that whole thing was just a little rough to see because you're really rooting for them at this point you really want them to stay cohesive and one thing it does serve is dude i love dustin if you you didn't love dustin like you the the whole uh the way he sort of anchors all of that back together and i'll get into that in in the next episode but um but yeah the the dissolving of that trio was a little challenging to watch and even more challenging to feel um but i did love like you that we finally get our first understandings of the upside down the the uh the theoretics of you know oh well if the the acrobats up here then you know the flea can go all these other different places you know like I, i love that it was a good visual metaphor um and uh and really works i love that it's just simple enough that they don't have to get into the scientific mechanics of it sure, it's sure. just like oh it's no a very easy shorthand yeah, yeah if you are of this type if you are of this thing then you can do this right and right, right. um and so i will say that so that episode well did you have any more likes dislikes because this is my scare i'll get into scares um, yeah, I've got scares. But. so this this is my scare so obviously the deer vanishing <laughs> holy crap to jump out of your seat moment. yes it is yes it is but what we've seen of Barb and what we fear for Will, I thought Nancy was a goner. Really? I, I like when that episode ended. I mean, obviously we got all of these at one time, so I didn't have any gestation sure, period. Sure, but sure. but when when that happened, I was like, they are taking out Nancy. Wow. I was like, yeah. that, that's a that's a big game changer, you know. And so because I thought there's no way. That thing is imminent and it's close. There's no way she she makes it out of that. Now I'll, I'll get into something else when we get into six. But uh, but yeah, I, I thought in the moment I was like, wow, that is a major chess piece off the board. They're taking Nancy out. That's cool. Um, yeah, I had several scares, and some of these actually could arguably in the likes dislikes, but I put them in the scares. Um, two things kind of coinciding. One is. I would easily put in scares is the bath, the sensory deprivation tank. Oh yes. Um, Goodness. I've brought up multiple times my water, you know, Ooh. feelings. Yeah. Uh, but add tight spaces to that. And what I wrote is equals no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 yes. No. True. Um, one thing I love the show gets so much of the, the genre material visually good. Well, right. Sure. Um, right. Right. I love the imagery of Eleven in the kind of astral plane. If yeah. You call it that, yeah. Or the mental yeah. plane. Uh, so much, you know, um, movies, TV shows, so much when they dabble in that kind of stuff, it's a very busy sort of aesthetic. Right. Uh, right. Disembodied 
characters, voices. I'm thinking, you know, even like in the X-Men world, Xavier and Cerebro and that sort of stuff. Right. Right. Um, is maybe what I'm conjuring there, but I love the simplicity of it. Production wise. It's the all black. There's no surfaces. Right. You know, and then the specific one is the Demogorgon appears. Oh yes. Scares the hell out of her. Um, so I just really adore that. Like you, it's pretty jacked up when she slings Lucas off a of mic. I mean, that's a real tough sure. scene to watch. Sure. Um, I do have the deer getting yanked away and Nancy meeting the Demogorgon. But yeah, those are, those are, I'm with you on some of those in terms of scares. Sure. Um, and we haven't been naming the episodes again. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. moving into six, um, which is appropriately titled the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I've been leading with a lot of these. What are what are some likes dislikes you have? Okay, well, th- well, I'll go ahead and say this. Uh, this uh, most of my notes are on six. Six is my favorite episode of the show. It's cool. Um, six is emotional. It's powerful. It's tightly constructed. It's got some of my favorite payoffs of the whole show. Even though eight has quite a few as well, um, and seven has a handful. Like this, th- six is when even in the first viewing. Six is when my affection for the tone and the general aesthetic suddenly shifted to, I love this story. Right, right. Because um, six is where you really start. I mean, so much is in six. Mm-hmm. Like, you could almost detriment episodes one through five as pure setup because six, being one of the shorter episodes, it's only like 46 minutes and packs in so many things. So so my first big uh, like, remember I said Nancy, I thought Nancy was a goner. Mm-hmm. So her getting rescued by Jonathan immediately showed for me like okay it's possible to come back sure like the quest is not futile it is possible once because you're not really sure up to that point right right you know maybe they're gone forever or whatever i think they have alluded to no no they haven't that's later i was going to say the toxicity of the air but but you know the fact that nancy comes back from it i'm like oh yeah so it is possible the the pursuit of will has hope for actually culminating in his rescue mm-hmm. so so I, I loved that about it uh i mentioned my love for dustin earlier and i just say i'm gonna, I'm gonna start uh man i wish i had said it earlier in the episode on a few things but uh i'm gonna start implementing the phrase i call bull on your logic <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. i just love that i call bull on your logic i just think that's such a great like uh yeah dustin's dustin's uh adhesive of that trio is really cool right. I, just, I, yeah. I like yeah. that a lot um, and uh, and it just made, immediately made me very endearing. Something that I didn't mention in four, uh, I feel like the bullies snickering at Will's memorial thing in the... This is in episode four. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't mention it because of what I'm going to mention for episode six, but... Uh, their, you know, their whole like uh, snickering at it. I'm like that. That's probably a little too much. Like sure. bullies are cruel, but that's. Sure. I mean, like you're snickering it's at strong. Kid. Yeah, at, at that age, at that age, the death of a child right. is going to be traumatic for anybody. Sure. Like, like I, I can remember, and I know many people have probably had this experience in my high school. It was in high school, so they're you know they're a bit younger, but in high school we had a student who died in a car accident. Uh, and we found out about it on a school day. Everything stopped. Sure, sure. Like, like I don't even think it was a respect thing. Like everybody's traumatized, right, so right. everything stops. Right. So it was almost a little too much that they would be snickering at this thing. But it did culminate in a nice little payoff when they, you know, Eleven makes him wet sure, himself sure. and everything. And so, that, so that is that was kind of cool. But the real big payoff is at the quarry right. in six. Right. Um, 
the, I think this is my favorite sequence in the whole film or the film, the whole series. Uh-huh. Um, that whole like Mike's bravery of like, okay, I'm not going to let Dustin get hurt. So I'm going to do this thing. That's probably going to kill me. Good right, Lord. Right. And then even the other bully is like, dude, this is not a good sure. idea. Like, what are you doing? But that one bully has been so shamed and he's been right. so embarrassed. And so he's, he's, he's going to do this <clears throat> and, and there's no holding back culminating. I was sitting there. I was like, Something's going to happen to keep Mike from jumping. So when Mike jumped, I was like, I was like, what is is going to... And so then I cannot adequately express the emotional roller coaster and almost sheer glee. Mike jumps off. Right. And then like, they're all like, what What just happened? And so even the bully with the knife, like puts the knife down. I mean, he didn't drop it, but he's just like, you know, let's go of Dustin runs over there. Like, what are we about to see? So when they look over and Mike's just hanging there. Right, right. And even in the moment when I first saw it, even in the moment I was like, ooh, is this a portal? Did he land oh, on a force wow. field? Right, is there right, like, right. is there some sort of other weird sure. connection to the Upside Down or whatever it is? But then when he rises back up and the music changes and they look on the distance and Eleven is in yeah, it, I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh. Well, and that's such a great moment. Uh, I, I do want to add some more context too, but specifically there because that's her... Um, Spidey puts on his suit finally. Yes. I mean, yes. That is, she's ta- she's gotten rid of the wig. She's not blending yep. in anymore. This yep. is who I am kind of moment. Mm-hmm. And why that, why her entrance into that scene is good too, just from a pure scene construction. Like, it could have felt a bit convenient. Sure. Except a minute earlier, you see her in the woods. Yes, eating and the hearing them. Right, yes. right. So it really works just kind of editing wise too. I'm going to add some flavor to that whole scene too for you. Um, but... One, this scene has Stephen King's it all over it. I yes. Mean, it's oh, yes, Rock it Quarry, does. Yes, it's it is. It's the Bowers Gang. Yep. All this sort of stuff. So that's a that's a huge kind of influence on that uh, scenery. What I wrote down here is um, there's so many payoffs. If you recall, um, I don't know the episode number, but there's a scene of Hopper and the deputies out there. Yes, and they make a reference about jumping yeah. off, and he says, "No, you, you, you're dead." Yeah, at that point, it. the water's so, so it's a great payoff for that. Yes, like Mike absolutely. standing there, we know. Oh my God, you no, know, like, he's not going to make it. Right. Yeah. It is an amazing payoff, and and you'll appreciate this if you hadn't already thought it. I was waiting to see if you'd say it. It's an amazing payoff for the Dustin dynamic. Yes, because ten minutes prior, they're talking about best friends. Yes. And Dustin's saying, well, I entered the scene late. You, it's okay that I'm right. not your best friend. Yeah. And, and Mike's like, no, no, no. We're, we're best friends. Well, you can't be, you know, <laughs> you can't be best friends. Maybe that's the bull on glass. I think sequence. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I call bull and on so your so yeah. it says so much character-wise that Mike is doing this to illustrate friendship to, to Dustin. Yes. You know, that's really yes. a huge kind of character payoff, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Um, and lastly, it yeah, again, it's just a great narrative payoff for Eleven rejoining sure yeah 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 the 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 new losers club um so yeah (laughs) can i just mention before we get too far away her because because it happens before this moment we're applauding is uh her sequence in the grocery store yeah where she she charges in and mouth breather yeah and she's like mouth breather but then like as she's running out and she makes the doors collide and glass breaks and everything so to your point uh, her at the quarry is the Spidey puts on the suit. Mm-hmm. It, it really is a payoff to, to uh, the the uh, stuff we saw earlier in the grocery store. Sure, sure. She's starting to ramp up to that, right, you know. Right. And we're starting to get these these flashbacks of the sensory deprivation chamber. This episode 
And and I oh I love this moment so much. Just the whole, the whole sequence at the quarry, everything about it, right. the stuff with the bullies. But then my gosh, their embrace yeah, at the end. It's so great. I, it's I so even great. had like a mild little choke up even just saying it yeah. right there. Like their little embrace at the end is so great. And and she we get our first good glimpse. We saw it in the photo. We saw like shadow illusion things before, but. Six is where we get our first glimpse of the monster. That's where we first see the Demogorgon in its What's in its the context, version. Remind me. She is in the sensory deprivation chamber. Oh, is that what I was talking about? Yes, in terms of the astral plane thing. Yes, okay, yeah, and yeah. then and then she looks off and she sees it. She reaches creepy moment. Yeah, but she yeah. reaches out to touch it, and, and it, that's when the portal opens. That's what. Yes. That's how it happens. And she and yeah. that's what yeah. she says, which is I'm oh, the monster. The tears. Yeah. yeah, she says, "I'm the monster" because right. I opened the right. portal. Right. right, right. And then Mike and Dustin there. That's what leads to the embrace. She's like, "You're you're not the monster. Sure. You know? Like yeah. you're you're one of us. You know and." And I just, I think that's so lovely. And I well, think it's and, so wonderful. And you're hinting up to something that I think um, is really implemented well in the series, but not overplayed, is the flashbacks. Her flashbacks. Sure, yeah. I mean, they're expertly implemented. Yeah, they're and, teased And it's not just, it's, uh, again, and hearkening back to the earlier part of this entire conversation about the anthology and how you move forward confidently, but... Those flashbacks, in addition to just providing character information on her, are very plot. It's like we're learning a lot. Yes, in, in exactly. very small doses. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, that scene specifically, that flashback specifically, this is how the portal was created. Sure, right. Um, it, it it does leave that sort of. It's not so big a question mark that it bothers me, but little things like okay, well, what about these little, other little portals? You know, like oh, what Nancy right, goes right, through. Right. I mean, whatever. You know, ultimately, yeah. I can just go with it. But uh-huh, sure. But in sure, terms sure. of the 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 colliding of these two kind of parallel dimensions, mm-hmm. um, is 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 her doing? Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's a really great character bit. But yeah, that whole quarry scene is fantastic. In terms of me for likes dislikes, um, Dustin in general. That episode is really strong for him, script script Oh, yes, I it mean, is. two yeah. of two lines that are just great is when they finally reconvene with Lucas and talks of, talking about him getting thrown off. you you, you got to admit that was pretty awesome. You know? uh, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my favorite, uh, maybe my favorite Dustin line at all um, is him talking to Mike about he and Lucas. And he says... Y'all are best friends until you start punching and yelling each other at each other like goblins with intelligence scores of zero. And it's like, <laughs> personally, I don't even get it, but it's so nerdy and great and such a deep cut for them. It's, it's like, oh, I, I can roll with it. That's yeah, such a great, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm smart enough to grasp the context. That's a wonderful um, line. Yeah. Episode six, um, scares for me. One is Nancy's hand through the tree stump. Yes. I mean, that, oh, uh, yeah. I leapt mm-hmm. um, at that. Uh, this seems to be an ongoing thread here and maybe I need to go visit a therapist for this, but Nancy's mom picking the lock. Like, oh, as a oh. parent, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, my right. My kids right. one day are going to sneak around and keep secrets from me. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is scarier than any Demogorgon ever. Oh my God, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at with six. Did you have any other sort of... I just have one more note, like, the, and I haven't mentioned it before, but uh, it goes all the way back to episode two. Like, Jonathan taking the photos... Mm-hmm. Um, is undeniably like creepster, like him taking the photos of like taking the photos of her up in the thing. Sure, like 
I don't know, there's an element of creepiness to it. Like, I know we're meant to feel sorry for him when Steve busts his camera and all this other sort of stuff, but I'm like, I kept, I kept wanting to say like, yeah, but what you did was a little creepy. Like, it was a little weird that you're just like hovering in the in the woods, like snapping photos and, and, and it just, it struck me a little odd. And so in that context, when, because I understand Steve's outrage, um, it's hard in their fight scene to know who I want to win. Sure. I think that's a reasonable yeah. critique of that scene. Um, because, and, and, and the whole town, or at least the teenage population of it, clearly thinks Jonathan is creepy. And yes. so, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and all the connotations that they apply to him there. So I don't think you're wrong for assigning a little bit of creepy factor to it. And this may not be what you're doing at all, but what it is conjuring for me is, are we applying some current world zeitgeist to the 1983 of Stranger Things in the sense? And what I mean by that is, in this day and age, someone out in the woods taking a picture of you, it's you're, you're throwing that up on social media somehow. It, it is going to oh, enter the right, digital world. Right, Whereas right. in this case, I'm a little sympathetic to it. He clearly has a photography hobby. He, I can't remember how he's actually out in the woods. He's, uh, I think, following, looking for Will. Okay. I think. And kind of stump. I mean, stumbles he stumbles on yeah. this. And, and and we did have a payoff that, like, in one of his photographs, we get the first glimpse right. of the monster. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. the first so, full look so that we plot got. plot-wise, it all works right. together well. So, I, I don't know. I guess, would would I have done that? Probably not. I'm, I'm Barb slicing my hand on accident. But, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm a little more empathetic to that act not because i think oh it's appropriate to do that but just sure he is a little weird he you know he is uh an outcast he is on the fringes of his of his sort of demographic um and thus though i agree with you that when the moment comes honestly that scene is so strong and i actually kind of applaud creatively that they have him beat the tar out of Steve, not because yes. i think Steve deserves it necessarily right right no i agree yeah. but because i think it is actually more character in that moment like Mm -hmm. this is a kid who his father has left him yes yes he is the quote-unquote man of the house with a a mom who's frazzled just in general life sure whose brother is disappeared whose brother gets accusations and names leveled at him right that jonathan has probably also borne the scorn of his own peers in the same way like so so i agree with you it's a strong scene and i am sympathetic to steve for the beating he takes i think and and maybe if it had been even a shorter beat up it's a little like oh geez right but because it clearly is meant to be the rage of this kid coming out in a very pronounced way i'm kind of I'm, I'm a bit more like okay i got it i'm, I'm open to that um but i'm with i you. hear that he beats, yeah he beats the crap out of steve oh my gosh um and we'll get into this in the, I think either in the next episode or in eight, it might be in eight. It has a, again, I talked about the arc. It has a nice payoff for where they land with Steve. Like, oh, like the, the culmination of that is necessary for where Steve as a character lands. Right. And I love it. Right. I love it. We'll get into that when we get later. Cause honestly, what's interesting about the rewatch for me, I didn't remember how that fight went. Oh, okay. To the point I forgot Steve gets beaten up mm-hmm. and what I was anticipating Again, having seen it before, what I was anticipating was Jonathan getting beaten by both of them. Oh, yeah. I knew yeah. they ended up at the police station, but sure. I couldn't yeah. remember how we got there. Right. And so I thought Steve and the other 
goon. Yeah, who I don't uh, know his name. Crab and Goyle. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna beat Jonathan up. So right, right, I was right. kind of I don't know, it, it kinda of worked for me in that way. Um let's let's jump in the bathtub, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we podcast in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> what you don't know is we've been in it the whole time oh. um, so episode one seven uh chapter seven is called the bathtub um i feel like there's no way to have a conversation about this episode and not thoroughly applaud and talk about the bike chase oh my gosh yes i love it so it's much perfect yes and and the holy crap oh my gosh moment of Flipping the van. Oh, oh that was so well, great. Well, again, so, so you know, we talked uh, 15 hours ago about homage and all this sort of stuff. Like, I, I, will, I will totally go with you on, not you, Reed, but you, a critic, uh, on, oh, it's, it's, it's just E.T. Like, well, sure, but the character stakes are different. Um, yeah, sure, the, yeah. The, the ability to stretch this out into a serialized form as opposed to a concentrated kind of feature right, element. Right. And in that moment, like one, they just so perfectly execute that sequence. It's, it's Lucas is warning them. Sure. Um, I had forgotten about the ability to the walkie talkie, like Dustin has the microphone on his head. Like right, I love right. that element. I love Lucas joining the fray. Yeah. Coming right um, back in. Yeah. That culminates in the van and the look on their faces, the shot, the camera shot uh, as the van flips over down on them. Just these so great. jaws agape, you know, yeah. just eyes bugging out of their head. Yeah. It's wonderful. I mean, it was just a fantastic sequence. Yeah. I, I love it so much. And another, the, another big like for me is that we, that we've talked about, earlier um is the gang's all here now Mm -hmm. because this is the episode where you know hopper is already sort of allied with joyce and they've already we didn't mention it last episode but another thing you find out in six is that like 11 is jane and yeah and and all of that backstory the telekinetic ability and all this other sort of stuff so so you find all that out um joyce and hopper are now you know, teamed up, they're together. When they go to the station to see Jonathan, you know, I'm like, well, crap, you know, what what is this going to now bear right, fruit towards? Right. But then that bully being there like, yeah, it was a, it was a girl yeah, beat yeah. me up and they've already found Which out. Which honestly feels a little bit like a moment of convenience, but it works. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. forgive it because yeah. it does more than it Well, doesn't. yeah, and the, because I believe it, Maybe that bully wouldn't have gone to the police, but the mom finding out he broke sure, his arm, sure. like, yeah, she would have gone to do something about it. So, but then just Hopper's recognition of like, what? And I love so much because it's a, it's a nice suspense release. They're all huddled in the bus. You know, the, the, oh, the, yeah, the yeah, four yeah. of them are all huddled in the bus, right. like, oh my gosh. And then the guy's about to get in. We're like, these are bad people. These right, kids, right, right. like what's about to happen? The guy's about to get in and then just bam and hopper clocks him at the sure. uh, on the back and then that's when the stories all collide i think he if i remember correctly he hops up in the bus he's like hurry up right, <laughs> right, right. It's, it's let's very, go well, yeah. it's an impatient yes you know kind yes. of look it's the it's the kind of father authority figure sure you kind of wanted him to be the whole time right yeah. but i just love i'm like okay well now the gang's all here right. so now all of the plot threads are together i think even uh, the only component that we're missing, but it's a nice payoff later, is uh, is Steve's involvement and everything. But we got sure. Jonathan, we got Nancy, we got the kids, we've got Eleven, we got Hopper, we got Joyce. Everybody's here. They're all now focused on like, okay, what are we going to do? And that's what culminates in the uh, you know the the 
sensory the faux sensory deprivation yeah, the chamber the bathtub in the gym right. and then um, it also you know eventually leads to uh, what we see at the end of seven is Hopper and Joyce sort of being captured and do you want to kind of combine eight and seven and let's eight? do it yeah because okay. it all yeah, feels so seven it all is feels the bathtub seamless. eight is the upside down and and your 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 line of thinking there echoed back to me what I was trying to say about the overall arc of the season like. It is so rare, and this is why uh, Stranger Things 2, we should all be a little worried, but in a good way. Um, it's so rare to land the plane well. Sure, right, you know, right, like, right, right. Like, for, for genre media, I mean, think of, like, The Village. This is random, but think of The Village. So much of leading up to the end of The Village I love. Right. The end doesn't work. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so... In a wish fulfillment world, well, I wish I could retool the ending and to make it a little more better, to sync up, whatever. Sure, right, right, right. Stranger right. Things nails the ending. Oh yes, they do. They do. They yes. just nail it. There are a few. There are a few little kind of things I might ask, you know, and we can talk about some of that. But um, in terms of just the the payoffs, all the payoffs sure, are there. Right. All the payoffs work. The the sort of locomotion of the plot. Um, you know, you've got the intensity and action of seven and eight that bleeds into just the emotional components. Right. Like it just, right. it just all works. Oh, absolutely. It's really strong. Absolutely. Um, I love, this is in seven, but again, you know, kind of cut and paste from both. But, um, I think talking about, you know, referencing even things like the flea and the acrobat, like shorthand things, show me, don't tell me Steve going to clean the marquee. Yes. Like that is. That is perfect. Yeah, it covers it really is. so much character ground. It really does in yeah. a way that is concise and important and informative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because you could almost like imagine that scene's not there. Well, then when Steve shows back up, we've got some ground we got to cover. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. like what are they going to do? But we don't need that. We we can't. We don't have time for that. Sure. Right. Right. So right. just that beat of mm-hmm. him showing up. Yeah. It, which means that when he shows up at the buyer's house at the end, I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm with yeah. you. I'm on board. Join the, sure. join the party. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's such a great moment. And did you know, maybe not, that uh, originally that was not the destiny for that character. Uh-huh. So originally, Steve was going to be almost sadistic. The, the, the moment where he and Nancy are intimate was going to be assault. Jeez. And so, so Steve was going to go a, a totally different direction. But the Duffer brothers recognized that the actor they had was very likable. Sure. And that and the way he was doing the performance was really engaging and endearing. So they so they migrated. They were like, we can't go there with this character because we've cast an actor that people are going to like and going to want to root for. Right. So um, that so I, I love moments like that because then it really does create a nice little payoff. Since we're melding seven and eight, I love that. Um, Nancy doesn't just end up with Jonathan; that she's back sure. with Steve. I, I, well, I do think it's a little bit suggestive, like it's not resolved. But yes, I understand sure. what you're saying. But I also love, and I don't know if you caught this. I love when she gives him back the camera, right? And I love that when she sits back down and cuddles up with Steve. Steve's like, "Did you give it to him?" You know, because it's a collective moment for mm. the two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and I don't know. There was something about it that if if Nancy had just left Steve and wound up right, with Jonathan, right. something would have felt a little cliche about yeah, it. Yeah, I can I can buy that. But the fact that she goes back and repairs that, and I mean, my goodness, the monster scene in the house That's when so when oh good and and when Steve shows back up, yeah. 
I'm just like, and, and like he's twirling that bat like he's a pro, dude. Right. Like, like it's it's so great, and it's such a wonderful payoff for a character that I think a lesser show would have just written off and would have just made sure. a, a plastic cutout. But did you did you see? You didn't watch Parks and Rec, right? The series no, Parks no, I've seen Parks and Rec. Well, there's a character. Gosh, the actor's name I I don't have in front of me, but there's a character named Jean Ralphio who oh, is okay. a friend of Aziz Ansari's in Parks and Rec. Okay, to this totally bombastic if we can use this word, douchey kind of guy oh, and oh. real pompadour kind of hair. Well, they ran with production, like this meta sort of thing started happening once um, Stranger Things happened. Steve resembles Jean-Ralphio, who yeah. in Parks and Rec is an adult. And there became this funny thing that happened where they started, you know, as as nerdy fans do, like, was Steve Jean Ralphio's father? And uh, there's an actual interview with the two actors uh, playing off of it wow. with each other. It's it's really funny. That is hilarious. Um, uh, so, looking, scanning my sort of likes dislikes here. Um, yeah, great character moment for Steve. Uh, you know, it, it felt a little on the nose, but it was kind of cutesy, I guess, when Nancy's dad looks out the window and says, This is our government. They're on our side. Uh huh. <laughs> us. Um, so likes and dislikes of both of these great first shot in episode eight of after the opening credits of the upside upside down shot of the upside down. Do you remember yes, that? It's yes, like yes, the yes. Whole shot is turning uh, onto them. Um, so I'm with you. The, Steve joining the attack party is so fantastic. And again, if we hadn't had that marquee scene, it would have required a little exposition. Absolutely, but we, but we don't right. need or want it. No, nope. like get to the get to the action. Yeah. I love his like. It's it's one thing when he comes back in with the bat, right? But when right. he enters the scene, oh, he's yelling, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! What is it's happening?" Because oh, yeah. yeah. he, he's so utterly unaware of what right, right, they're doing, right. you know. Which, by the way, I loved. I wrote down uh, Jonathan and Nancy home aloneing the house for oh, the monster. Great. It's that's wonderful. Great. But yeah, I he's great in that moment because it adds some comic relief. Sure. In an already very suspenseful moment. Right. But yeah, everything that's happening, he's like, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" Oh my yeah. god and and. <laughs> And just like running down the hall. Yeah, everything about that moment works so well. And it's great because that's how he would be in that in that initial encounter. But it's not unbelievable when he, you know, like Joyce did earlier. Like, okay, I don't know what my hopes are, but I'm going to come back in right, and join right, the fray. Right. And, uh, oh, it's, yeah, it, it's really it's really great. I love their fight with the monster. Like, the, the three missions that we have in, the, in this episode... The mission of the kids um, in in the school, the mission of Joyce and Hopper in the Upside Down, mm-hmm. and then the mission of Steve, Jonathan, Nancy in the sure. in the home. Like all of that is so well paced because yes. they they tag in on it on just the right moment, so we never really lose track of where everybody is. Right. And th- all of the moments culminate right. emotionally very successfully. Um, because it all, uh, what I, what I wrote down is, uh, that they, like when they're all there, I, I wrote 11 saves the day, just not herself. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and when it's Poor all, she. I know, right? <laughs> she's in the trailer for season two, so I know she's back, but spoiler alert. No! Oh! But so, um, but the, uh, the thing that, that I love emotionally. Okay. So this might be a slight sort of diversion, but this is the first episode. We've seen teases of it, moments of it, just passing glimpses of like Hopper had a life before this. Sure. But episode eight 
it's when we see as he's wandering through the upside down, we see the which, good lord, the heartbreak of his his baby girl can't breathe, you know, and right. and his reaction to that and like, hey, what's going on, you know, everything right, like right, that. Right. Culminating to the next flashback, we see she's clearly got some form of cancer, and he's reading to her and everything. What is he reading to her, Reed? Oh, I forget. I didn't write it down. What is well, he... it keeps coming up in our episodes, Anne of Green Gables. Oh, see, yeah. look at there. There you go. There you go. Um, but, so he's reading to her, and then, if somebody told me, yeah, it's a little heavy-handed, I probably wouldn't argue, but I don't care. Right, um, right. The juxtaposition of trying to help Will breathe, sure, and sure. his flashback to... When his, his helplessness, his helplessness, yeah. and yeah. I'm, I'm just, it's, it's heartbreaking, and it's lovely, and it's redemptive, right. and it's very, very powerful, and I think it immediately follows. I don't think it's in the midst of. I think it immediately follows the monster killer slingshot scene in which is so good. the classroom, which is wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so wonderful because that's such a great payoff. They, I think they found in episode two, you know, we, we bashed episode two, but I think they found in episode two, like, oh yeah, this rocks the monster killer. You know, this is the monster right. killer. And, I, you know, it's not doing a thing. What's great that about monster. that moment is like you as the viewer, you're like, what are they doing? Like, right. we've just watched these armed guys yeah. machine gun this thing to no avail whatsoever. Sure. And yeah. so, so, so what could be a cri- criticism becomes really a, a strong creative choice. Mm-hmm. Like, cause as a viewer, you're like, they do. Yeah. This what is, is over. They're dead. You know, there's right. no chance that works. And then all of a sudden that final one and he Just, gets blown back. It's yeah. It's great. And then, you know, of course it's 11, you know, coming in to to save the day. Uh, one one comment I did make, uh, actually, my wife made it, and I agreed. Was uh, maybe they could have made a better line than "Goodbye, Mike." Like, you know, maybe from they, eleven. From eleven, you know, sure. like maybe. I mean, yes, it's functional and it's emotional, but like, well, what's funny about that is, I I had this memory on the rewatch of. So, so Mike uh, kind of uh, clunkily and, and awkwardly kisses her in the gym or at the table while Dustin and Lucas are looking for the pudding. I had a memory of the two of them having a more like actual, I hesitate to use the word intimate, but actual real kind of kiss. And maybe I'm just oh. fabricating that from memory. But No, it was just, a, it was just the Yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah the for some reason, kiss. I thought that was... Uh, so so then when she dissipates on mm-hmm. my rewatch, I was like, oh, did I just make that up? I can't oh, remember. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I will say, like, you mentioned something uh, way earlier in the conversation. So it was probably in last week's episode. But um, about uh, do the do the audience know about the Upside Down or anything like that? Well, I had forgotten at that point. But, yeah, H- Hopper's deal. Let Joyce and I go in and we don't right. say a word. And we don't say a thing well, about t- any of Can this. we talk about that a minute? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Sure. one I'd forgotten it Mm. and two on so on the rewatch it was that it was so so two kind of major scenes relative to that is how he gets out of so you know uh, Hopper and Joyce infiltrate the lab and of course get caught and are in you know for lack of a better word incarcerated she's in an interrogation cell with Matthew Modine Hopper is being beaten and drugged yeah yeah and and then makes threats about you know, my person at the times or whatever. Um, and then make some sort of deal. And, and, and he and Joyce have this conversation where he says that we, we never talk about this. This didn't happen. Sure. We're going to go get Will. And then the episode, one of his final scenes pre leaving the food ostensibly for 11 is being 
ushered into a limo from the hospital. Sure, right, right. So, right. like, one, does it bother you, character-wise, for him to go that route, to make that choice, to to make a deal? Mm. Um, it, it felt a little bothersome to me on the on the rewatch because okay. he has come into his own, you know, the bus sure. scene, and right, 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 and all that right. sort of stuff. I think it's. It, I don't even. I don't even necessarily disagree with the choice. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to work out a deal to save Will. What is troublesome is if if he follows through somehow, and so I don't know what to make of the limo scene. So so anyway, sure. yeah, right, I, did, right, I right. didn't know what to feel about felt- those choices. Yeah, I felt not quite as conflicted as you're describing, but there was some conflict there because I was like, well, is he now... And to me, it felt a bit self-sacrificial. I was like, has he now gotten in bed with the devil and kind of like, you know, just I'm willing to put myself on the line here in order to to rescue Joyce's son. Um, But... But ultimately, uh, and I may I, be overthinking it. I can recognize that. But. Well, well, we'll see what they do in season two. Sure, because sure. clearly, to not address that would be a mistake. You know, right. so clearly they're going to address that in season two. But um, I did love the payoff that I think he likely would not have had if there hadn't been this whole limo ride connected with them or whatever of taking the food out in the woods right. and leaving right. the egos there, you know, and everything like. Um, in a sense, and this is what I felt the first time around, uh, in a sense, I was like, he has a surrogate, a, you know, almost an adoptive daughter sure, back sure, now. Sure. And and naturally, he doesn't have, you know, he had moments with Eleven, and that right, was it. Right, you right, know, right. so there's not right. this deep, long history or anything, but I loved that touch. Sure. It was just like, okay, he has another another daughter to take care of now. Right. You know, and um, so so I, I loved that about it, and in that sense, I like that he connected up with Hawkins lab, but I was a little conflicted. I was like, what does that mean in terms of the overflow ripple effect for, for the rest of the show? Sure. Um, and I think that's what I'm trying to identify is it felt like I'm not stating it is, it felt like an unnecessary conflict of, of feeling, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, like sure. Oh, did we, did we necessarily need that? We're really on board with him. You know, uh, like, right, like, right. we're muddying the waters a little bit in a way that I don't quite get. And that's okay. We'll, we'll see what happens. Sure. Sure. Um, exactly. In terms of scares, I mean, I didn't have a ton in seven and eight. I, I think what I wrote down was Will's intubation monster, the, just the, the, the umbilicus, as we described it. Uh, earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just so yeah. gross. And then, of course... Almost any medical show or whatever, when a person pulls a long thing out of someone else's throat, yeah. it's just always yeah, stomach-turning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely. Um, and then there's also... Um, I had written down, it's not quite scares, but it's obviously sort of a cliffhanger teaser for what we'll see in season two. Um, but I, I wrote, Will vomits upside down, you know, and and he's you know clearly feeling sluggish. Wow. <laughs> wow. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I uh, get, to me, the scares don't really apply in seven and eight because we are kind of aware. Yeah. Of the of the stakes, and so it's really just more about like how are they going to resolve this, bring this all together. And as you've mentioned several times, uh, and I wholeheartedly agree, I feel like they land the plane very, very well, very strong emotional beats to the point that they end where we began. They're playing right, advanced D and D, the Thessal Hydra this time around. They fireball it, they win, sure, and then. Will's not going home by himself anymore. Jonathan's yeah, going to yeah, yeah. That is a nice up, touch. You know? That is a nice touch. And, uh, and it's great because, you know, that that family, the broader family is even more connected because because Jonathan shows up to pick him up, he reconnects with Nancy and right. we get to see those other beats. It's just a really nice and culminates at 
at Christmas, you know, Um, it's, it's really nice because that also kind of feels like a payoff of the Holly Jolly stuff and everything, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's, it's really a very strong conclusion to what I think is a nearly completely satisfying story that they've told. So, so I love it. ready to dive wholeheartedly into the thematic stuff I mean, there's, before there's we nowhere to go but there that's true so, that's true um, go upside down so so my my biggest thing is and it, as a parent i would say not giving up on your kids mm-hmm. but as as just a person just not not giving up on people and i feel like we have such a strong tendency to, given circumstantial evidence, given statistics, given everything that we could point to that would say, this is futile, and why do you continue to pursue this avenue? Mm-hmm. Um, it's convicting, and it's inspiring to me, the notion of, I, I will not give up. Right. On, on them right uh, that notion in a an intimate context of like with your immediate family a brother a sister a son a parent whatever it is I will not give up on them um, but in the broader social context as well of like giving up on uh, individuals uh, uh, there's so many places that we could go here so I'm just going to sort of bullet point a couple like Giving up on criminals to always be criminals. Giving up sure, on sure. the mentally ill to never get better. <clears throat> giving up on, you know, in any of those sort of contexts. Like, giving up on these people. Giving up on the problems. Like, it's always going to be this way. It's all, it's never, it can never change. This stigma that we have around sociological groups or, or uh, genders or whatever it is. That that is never going to change. It's never going to migrate. It's never going to normalize. It's never going to progress. Basically, the the act of saying, like, we're just going to give up on the lost. We're just going right, to give up on right. it. And as as believers, I'll say this, and then I'll bounce it to you to either take us in a different direction or, or, or bounce back some thoughts here, that for us as believers, I mean, we have almost a downright commission at a certain point. A great one. A great say. one, yes, um, to pursue that. Right. And I struggle sometimes. Um Here's what I'll say. There's a passage, obviously, Jesus told them, go into all the nations and make disciples of all people. But then there was also a point in time pre his death and resurrection where he sent them out and he said, if they won't listen to you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Sure. Um, I think there is a, a, a balance that we have to strike between not throwing our pearls before swine and not 
beating the dead horse, to use a, a colloquial analogy, to to not continue to do the insane thing right, 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 and expect right. different results. Um, but I think there's a balance that we have to make between wisdom of recognizing futile efforts and resigning sure. people right. or groups to a to a doomed end. Right. I think that is I think that is different. I think they are two different things. I think there is wisdom in recognizing a practice that will not give you the result you are trying for and to either remove yourself from the situation or change strategies or something. Um, and the broader overarching feeling of well, you're actually, I'm, I'm giving up on them. So right. anything that comes out of that camp, I'm just not even, I'm just not even going to believe anymore for hope or for good things to come right, out of right, that. Right. And um, and yeah, I, it, so it's a challenge to me to see like what Joyce goes through and and even what the kids go through and not giving up on Will despite, you know, I know it's implausible and we've we've talked about sure, it narratively, sure, sure. but. Uh, in the face of tangible evidence that there's every reason to give up on him and start the grieving process. Right. To not give up on them is is a a convicting and an inspiring thing to me. Sure. Well, and I think um you know, you you are contextualizing that even as, you know, the the individual or like a person or people group like to me hearing you talk and maybe Maybe this is ultimately where you would land as well. Just maybe taking the the pieces you're putting on the table and putting the puzzle a little more with a little more clarity. Like for me, a lot about your perspective on your place, God, Jesus, things to come will determine a lot of how you behave in the face of opposition to a worldview. Right. Does that make sense? That's very true. Like, yes. You know, take a Joyce. Now, at, at a slice of a moment, someone might be able to look at her and think, okay, you're, you're just crazy. This is ridiculous. These things you're saying. But we know what she has experienced, which is I have reason to think and, 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 and reason to hope sure. that my expectation is true that he's alive. He's out there. Sure. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're assigning this language to a very specific kind of genre type story, but when you're in a situation of what others might perceive as a hopeless situation, sure. You know, that's hard. It's, mm. it's, it's hard. It's hard to operate in hope when those around you don't share it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And, and maybe they don't actively state, well, you're an idiot for hoping that way, mm. but you don't sense like, okay, do, do you, are you aligned with me in this hope? Right, right. Um, but a lot of that to me has to do with just how you view the world, man. Like does, and, and, and a death in, in the natural is a finite kind of thing. It's, it's like, well, in other words, um, if, if Will was dead. Yeah. Truly, yeah. Uh, Joyce hoping for him not to be dead is a silly endeavor. Right, right. But Joyce hoping for what his death might mean for her in the future, and and you know, eternal restoration, all this. Sure, you know, like that's right. not a false hope. You sure. Know? And so, in the real, ignoring the 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 finality of death, at least in the present time, huh. um, you know, situations that may seem hopeless. Um, 
you know, you, you use the language of dust off your feet or, or Jesus language of that. Like to me, that doesn't even speak of how a lot of people would often apply it of, Oh, you know, let's wash our hands of right, these folks, right. this people group that, you know, to me that simply says, okay, your energy, you have a finite amount of energy. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, your expectation for and, and desire for the future and how you interpret scripture to speak into the actual real world for me personally is one of restoration and hope and, and all things. Sure. Right, right, right. Um, and thus what that compels me to do is act and behave and speak in such a way that does not close a door on someone's capacity to come to the table. Sure. That said, there may be moments where I just have to stop spinning my wheels on things I can't control. Right, right. You know, like, it's such an easy target, but things like our president. And I'm not picking on, but I'm stating a thing. I don't have any control. I just don't. Yeah, you can't I don't, do anything. I don't right. have any control. Right. Um, but at the same time, as much as this may come as a surprise, not to you, but maybe to a listener, like, I don't, I, I also don't live in this place where, oh, that guy's going to burn in hell. Like, right, I don't right. live in that place. Right, like, right. I think it's the hope of Jesus that, that none will. And, and what Jesus hopes for, I will then hope for. Right. And so what I can, what I can do is figure out and find what I do have control over. And that's not just myself, but I don't have control over the people around me, but I can control how I impact the people around me. Yeah. In a real yeah. tactile, tangible way. And so I don't know if there's any of this is speaking to what you were trying to describe, but yeah, you know, yeah. I do think it is a, it is, I, I like that this particular story says, okay, what happens when, you know, this, it's such a great scene when Hopper says, you're right. Mm, you know, yeah. like, right, right. like that's such a, that's, that's a sea change for the series. Sure. That's a yeah. moment of, okay, the ship, the narrative is shifting mm-hmm. towards now this thing. And, exactly. And, and we are right to hope. And it is, and Joyce wasn't crazy and right. she knew it. And we, as the viewer knew she wasn't, but in terms of, right. There's something so validating and beautiful when the thing you have hoped for and not even hoped for in vain, mm-hmm. though hoped for against odds. Sure. Others start to say, oh, wait a minute, it is right that you hoped for that. And, and, right. And wow, your, your passion and your zealousness for the hope you're expressing is now having an impact. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just sort of freewheeling now. But yeah, yeah. No, I, and because hope is infectious as well. Sure. It just has to work a little harder. And I think that that's what's here's this is a very broad brush that you think about the upside down and there's tons. I'm sure any theological perspective that has glanced at this show before, and I know that there are a multitude out there. Any theological perspective that has looked at this is going to use or, or might possibly use the upside down as an analogy for sin. Like this is the darkness, the shadow lands, mm-hmm. and to use C.S. Lewis's old language. Um, and I think that's the, the, the reason that sometimes in our culture, I think hope has to work a little harder is because I think we're in the shadow lands. I think we, we sitting here, I'm not talking about like, you know, specific contextualization of the stuff going on in America or in the world around us or whatever. Like, like, I feel like we people right now, like we're living in the shadowlands. We are not um, free 
from the impact and saturation of sin in our own hearts and in the world around us. Like we're just, we're not liberated from that. Mm -hmm. Um, We see the results everywhere, but there are echoes of another reality. Mm -hmm. And there, there are echoes of things that are infectious to us if we will allow ourselves to listen to them and allow ourselves to follow them. That we can have hope that people can change that uh, the lost can be found again, that perspectives can shift, that um, that even uh, perhaps the most entrenched among our friends in, uh, or, or not even our friends, the world at large, even the most entrenched in a particular mindset um, can emerge from that mindset, can sure, learn, sure. can grow. One of the things that I find very frustrating is we have a tendency, how do I want to say this? Because I deeply believe in justice. But I think there's a difference between asking someone to answer for what they've done and now defining them by what they've done. Sure, sure. So I think there's a, I think there's a difference there. Yeah. I think that we as a culture tend to define What's someone responsibility by... responsibility versus identity. Really. Ex- exactly. Yeah, yeah. And we have a tendency, I think, to identify someone as what they've done. Versus just ask them to answer for it, right? Or ask right. them to take responsibility for sure. it. We now you are this thing, right? And now because of the things you've done, which are frequently despicable or heinous or wrong or misunderstood or misappropriated or whatever it is, like the things that you have done, now you are this thing. Which is why you vaguely mentioned the the president earlier. It's why the moment somebody says that they voted for Donald Trump or did not vote for Donald Trump. Assumptions can immediately assign be assign meaning. Yes, right. a lot of immediately meaning. assign. Uh, well, you're clearly this thing. Right, right, right. I had somebody for the longest time who was engaging with me about arguments. They had never asked me, but they presumed because I did not vote for President Trump that I must have voted for Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. It was an assumption they made. I will go on record and say I didn't, but. What my point being in that moment is they uh, they assumed and assigned this thing. Sure. And all I'm simply calling out is we have a tendency to make a litany of assumptions that then we assign uh, ultimate verdict to and then assess a people group. Right, right. You know? Right. So in any particular in any particular avenue, oh, uh, person A is doing action B, therefore they have attitude C. Right, right. And so then we start going after attitude C without ever trying to understand action B or listen to person A. Well, and take a, you know, to separate a little bit from the personalization of who'd you vote for, but like, I think of like the NFL stuff. Like, oh, right, right, right. Oh, right. you're stomping on the anthem. Like, come on, like, dude, mm-hmm. you're, a, you know, some someone who would look at the scenario that's happening there and, and we'll look at Kaepernick as ground zero, like, do a little reading, do a little research. Like this is not hard to suss out why this is happening. And it's not what you're saying. You know what right, I mean? Like, right, like right, you're right, assigning. Right. And, and so what I'm saying, I'm affirming what you're saying. Like they're assigning labels to they're assigning identity to a thing that, okay, no, like there's right. something, something is different. You know, right. Joyce is not crazy. Right, right, right. You know, to, yeah. to, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to follow this too fat, too far, but Kaepernick is not crazy. Just, do understand where the person's coming from. Right. Understand right. in Stranger Things. Find out where Joyce is coming from. Right. Learn from the experiences she's having. And, sure. And and approach her as a person. Yeah. Not as an identity thing. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right, right. Which right. lest lest it go unsaid is the responsibility of 
like in your example, is the responsibility of those in the NFL right now too to listen to the to to the, why are you protesting this way? What's going on there? Sure. The point being, n- nobody I think can can ever take a particular stance where you give up on another person. Right. Right. You know. Right. Like like you to to write off the whole thing. Like like for instance, and I believe this. I'm just going to mention this like sort of a hit and run. I believe the protests began differently. And then because there was some listening to and some discussion with some military personnel, they right. migrated and, and yeah. changed. He started yeah. sitting. He oh, consulted yes. someone who and, was a, 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 you know, <laughs> I know nothing about sports or the military. Oh, so this is like, <laughs> this is like right. very uncharted territory. Right, right. But he consulted a, a guy from the military who suggested, well, you, this, is, this would be a more respectable form of it and mm. suggested kneeling. And then uh, began doing that yeah, other thing. Yeah. So, so my point being, listen to each other. But what happens is not the listening. And, lest, and and I know that some listeners, maybe not most of ours because we have great listeners, but most some some people listening to us might then immediately say like, oh, you delivered this posture on this thing. You're politicizing it. Here's my point. So if you're upset about either a stance that I've taken or a stance that Nathan's taken, here's my point. From your perspective, do not write off the other perspective. Right. Listen right. to it. Right. Give it its voice. Take its position seriously right and then expect that your position will equally be taken seriously but that's that's engaging in an sure. actual sure. Conversation. conversation right that's not just saying hey you've got upside down thinking sure. hey you've got backwards thinking and or you need as to- i saw like i really don't follow these rabbit trails too often these days but i saw someone recently with relation to that criticizing kaepernick specifically and said use the language until he repents and oh, right. I, won't, I, I won't even engage it. Like, oh, man. I know. And like, that's problematic. Yes, that's really problematic. Because let's let's dive into repentance. There's so many people. Exactly the same thing. And, and we can get off of that um, sort of the anthem right, hot right, potato right. and move to anywhere else until that person repents. What happens to, uh, to, to Mike and Lucas at first? And if not for Dustin, right. if not for a reconciler, Right. They would have stayed sure. separated out. But Dustin comes in and is like, hey, here's the deal. You drew first blood. You're going to shake his hand. I loved that. Like yeah. On this rewatch, I really fell in love because I've forgotten sort of the ins and outs of that dynamic. But what a beautiful... Like, if, if you actually applied this to your life, what they do there, which is, no, this is the rule. You're the one who threw the mm-hmm. punch. You're the yeah. one who drew first blood. Like, it is yeah. on you. The onus is on you to be... The apologizer first yes, to initiate yes. that mm-hmm. reconciliation. Like, yeah. goodness gracious! Yeah, it's what great. A great world we'd have. <laughs> oh, <it's> so <laughs> yes, I mean, my it's gosh. so wonderful. Because then what happens is you don't, and then the the layers keep getting piled on, and the plaque sure. keeps getting piled on, and then suddenly, who knows where we're at? Exactly, and that's what it is. Other is that, than saying you need to repent for this thing. Oh, and that's and that's yeah, my yeah, yeah. that's my point. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, other than saying you need to repent for this thing. Um, which I know can sometimes, uh, I, I deeply believe in repentance and repentance language. So, like, I, I believe in that. Um, but our pos- our position, our posture is very much the, the scripture that means a great deal to me is the ambassadors of reconciliation call out. Sure. Like, that, that's, that's our mission. That's our purpose in this is, is to see, hey, this side over here is, is going this way. This side over here is going this other way. The cross that we are called to take up ourselves and right, die to ourselves right. is literally a gap bridger right, right is literally a hey i'm going to reach out 
at my own expense sure. and and bring these two back in alignment, back into reconciliation. Right. And not giving up on and not just resigning somebody to use the uh, language of the show, not simply saying like, well, they're they're in the upside down, you know, like right, right. they 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 are. Uh, I'll say it this way: there's a difference between lost and gone. Sure. And and we need to recognize that there is hope for there is hope for solid conversation. Right. There is hope for reconciliation. Reconciliation. Right. There is there is hope. But what what happens is you get and. Man, this might be a stretch, but I'm just going to go there. That somebody f- produces a body. Sure. Somebody throws something of their fabrication, of their sort of slant, of mm-hmm. their sort of leaning. Right, right. Somebody produces a body and is like, answer this. And then once you produce the body in there, the temptation, the tendency is then to just, oh, well, now you need to give up and now you need to sit down and shut up right, and now right, you need right, to do right. all these other things. But. If we if we will be willing to let the conversation progress and continue, then maybe we would say like, "Hey, the emperor has no clothes. The body is full of cotton. Right, like right, something right, like right. like this this whole thing." I'll I'll use them because they're an easy punching bag, and I think there is a little bit of of um, substantial reasoning for this being here. But a media outlet, I won't say the media, a media outlet that blatantly ignores the opposition to its point mm-hmm. in favor of furthering a narrative mm-hmm. and adopting a narrative that's irresponsible. Sure. And that's the body. They've they've produced the body. I'm right, gonna I'm gonna right, cut right, out right. the clip that, right, right, that opposes right. my point right, and right. I'm gonna you know tactfully insert everything that right. that does this. I'm gonna right. produce this body, I'm gonna throw it out there. And then what we need are the people to stand up and say like, okay punch the guard out and, you know, right, and, right, and right, cut, right. cut it open sure. because um, because there 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 is I think a calling to us beyond all hope I, I'm going to bring in one of the two scriptures that I had to bring in it's it's we've referenced it before uh, Matthew 18 12 Jesus was saying what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off mm-hmm. so Christ in that moment is saying like, hey, the lost one, we have a tendency to be like, well, 99% of the time, fine. Like 99 is 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 okay. So right. let's tip the scales here. And Christ is like, no, no, no. Your mission is sure. to reconcile the one sure. that's, that's sure. off the beaten path. Yeah. Yes. Take some comfort in the fact that 99 of them aren't. That's fine. But don't ignore. Just be like, oh, we can write one off. Right. We can write one thing sure. off. We can, and because that's what causes that one goes out, and then if we're not attentive to that, more will wander off and get lost. Sure. Sure. You know, and and that's why it's imperative that there be a culture of reconciliation. That there be a culture of seeking. That's the other scripture, Luke nineteen ten. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what's been lost. So. Yeah. Go out, find it, bring it home. Right. That right. that right. is our mission, and it's a hard one, lest we forget the Christ's mission of reconciliation killed him. Right. Right. So so it is hard. Nobody is saying sure. that that should be easy for us to do. It is hard work, but it is rewarding work. I mean, you have to venture into the depths, right. just like just like Hopper and Joyce. Like you've got to well, venture it's so into. Funny. It. Like you, you use that language just now of of you know Christ's work of reconciliation of reconciliation killed him and. Hear me, as someone who likes comfort. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we... There doesn't get stronger language than take up your cross daily and follow me. Right, like, like, right. Like, Christ's, Christ's work is singular in a sense. But it is also the point. Yes. And, and the template. Sure. The exemplar mm-hmm. of how we're supposed to live, which which isn't me suggesting uh, uh, the culmination of your Christ-like duty of your Christian duty is your own death. I'm not necessarily right. saying right. that. Right. But I'm also not necessarily not saying that either. Mm-hmm. And we so crave and love our comfort and our systems and our ways of having done things. Sure. A thematic thing that, you know, blends into this. Well, I love... Uh, and, and this will make perfect sense when Dustin calls Clark while he's watching the thing and Clark challenges him. It's 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. Sure. Right. He says, you always told us to be curious and to open any curiosity door we find. Uh-huh, I was like, yeah. this is perfect. You know, yes. that is what, you know, curiosity and hope are two different things, but they are cousins. Yes. You know, yes. like, like someone who's someone who looks at like, and again, I'm making statements about what actually is going on. Someone who looks at a Kaepernick and says, well, unless he repents, I'm not engaged in the conversation. Okay. You're in sin. (laughs) You know, I mean like that seems strong, but it's, but because you are not exercising curiosity to figure out why is this person actually doing this? Okay. This person hurt me. Um, or this person is doing something that offends me, or this person is doing X, Y, or Z that has a negative impact on me, or even a neutral impact. Okay, why are they doing that? I should should continually ask the questions because the more I can come to understand who they are, the more Christ-like I become because I can empathize with and I can go the distance and I can... right. Anyway, yeah, I'm with you, you know. Yes. Yes, and and... I think if I were to, I don't know if you had more thematic things to to bring in, but I think as a way to sort of land this plane, I would just simply say like, there are there are multitudes of people um, in the upside down with us because because sure. we're there too. Sure. But the dis the difference is that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ that we have. We have heard echoes of another world. Mm-hmm. We have heard echoes of a of, of a greater truth, a better reality, and to be able to share that, to bear witness to it, in an effort to to bring someone back mm-hmm. so that they can see it too, uh, that should be our that should be our foremost mission. Sure. And I think that we too frequently focus on the land at hand because we've lost confidence in the one to come. And we've lost confidence in the kingdom that is coming that our king has told us about. I'm speaking very specifically to believers right now that those of us who follow after Christ, we have we cannot ignore the calling that we have to continue to bear witness in in spite of all evidence to the contrary for there to be hope that we continue to to profess the gospel and continue to speak that. There, there is more than just this upside down. We well, and we more see than that, we live it. Yes, you know, like you, you didn't intend this, and and you wouldn't articulate this as your own position. But I, I grow so tired of ignoring the on earth as it is in heaven portion of things. Mm. You know, like yes, there is a thing to come, but that thing is made manifest by us in the present. Right, right. You know, and 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 you are in the wrong. 
if if all you're doing is just sort of waiting for that thing to come sure right you know right. and not um, not actively trying to dispel the upside down in the here and now yeah absolutely you know? absolutely and i think that's uh that's a nice little button to end on uh if you uh if you want to we can go ahead and bring in our our good friend david is pumpkins <laughs> um it's funny it's we're we are recording a thing that will air after halloween i'm just presuming that he showed up on snl um, <laughs> so yeah as we do we we measure um the typically the movies but in this case this tv show that we consume on a metric of numbers of david s pumpkins zero to five on style which is a bit fluid um scares and substance um this is a great eight episodes of a tv show absolutely you know i I feel very strongly about it um as far as style goes honestly i think for me it's a five okay there's just no uh, and by style, in this case, I mean the vibe they set, the tone they set. I think the casting's great. I think a, much of where they go is really strong. The things I don't like aren't so profound that it really bothers me a ton. Right, right, um, right. So right. for me, it's a five. Um, I'm going to land at a at a four. And I think first watch around, I would have given it a five. Sure. Second watch around, I really sort of felt the setup and the padding in the first half sure. of it, uh, even though we had a lot of great things to say about some of that stuff. So for me, it's a four overall. Cool. Yeah. And what about for scares for you? For scares, um, you know, it's funny because there's some great moments, some great jump moments, but I don't think this is show, a show that's going to give anybody nightmares sure. unless they're like super young or super sensitive. So, um, so for me, it's going to land on about a three for scares. Yeah. Um, for me, it's more just the, the general vibe and tone. And there's some very effective moments and sure. great creature design and all this other sort of stuff. Um, but in terms of it's just fright factor per se, I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. And I think, I think I'll echo your three. I think if, that upside down had been had been a little more populated at the end, which would have indicated where things might go. Right, I could have right. seen like, oh man, that's kind of some scary stuff. So sure, um, I, I will go with the three with you on that one too. All right. And finally, uh, substance. Um, I think sure. for me, um, I think what's going on. This is a, a bit unwieldy because it's eight hours of a thing versus a, a normal two. Um, but for me, there's enough going on that I think I feel comfortable putting in it like maybe a 3.5. Okay. Um, there's not so much that I feel like it's just sort of dripping with thematic ideas. So right, I right, right, right. right. it'd be about 3.5. Yeah, and I feel I was going to land on a 3 for substance as well, um, just because I feel like some, some similarly to what you've articulated, um, I don't feel like it's void. Right. Um, I also don't feel like I feel like you could annotate its trivia. I don't feel like you could annotate its substance. Sure, so, sure. so I feel like there's some big sweeping or if things. If you do, there'd just be a few notes. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. So, I definitely think that there's some um, that there's some substance to be had, mm-hmm. um, but but it's not completely completely strong. So, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us what we give Stranger Things on the David S. Pumpkins metric? Well, on the David S. Pumpkin scale, Stranger Things season one gets seven. David S. Pumpkins. Which, I mean, that's a that's that's good. That's honorable. Seven's complete. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Um, so that kind of ends the first half of Stranger Things. Giving next week, we will be 
uh, diving into Stranger Things Season 2. Sure. Which is a little wild, because in this immediate moment, neither of us have any idea what happens in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Uh, I really hope that the conversation's not all like... Uh, so, then there's... Uh, Turns out it's just going to be one episode <laughs> of the podcast. We're just going to make a 30-minute uh, little disclaimer. Wow. Like, oh, no. I, I have strong confidence, because, boy, that trailer. You've seen that trailer. Um, for season I two? saw I saw the initial trailer with the was it Michael Jackson? Michael yeah, trailer? with the thriller yeah, yeah, language yeah. in. Oh, I've man, intentionally kind of great. avoided past that because oh, it's here. it's great. No, I haven't seen anything else after that. So so yeah, um, we uh, we hope you've enjoyed this two part conversation on Stranger Things. We hope you enjoy Stranger Things, and we hope you enjoy us. If you want to continue the conversation because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation you can do so in a variety of ways um, you can follow us the easiest and best way is probably through Twitter Nathan what's our Twitter handle at the fear of God you can also follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey Nathan where can they find you on Twitter besides the fear of God at the Nathan Rouse you can also email us fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com you can also go to morethanonelesson.com leave a comment on this post or any other of our official episode posts Uh, you could like us on Facebook follow us there post there comment on one of our posts and last but certainly not least if you listen to us through iTunes we would very much appreciate a review Um, Nathan Reed thank you so much for having this conversation with me for delighting in Stranger Things giving with me and uh, here's hoping season two is is every bit as enjoyable and fun and, and hoped for as, as we got from season one. Yes. Uh, I'm with you. Here, here's hoping. We're, we're rolling the dice, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Let's see where this goes. That was a D&D reference. Oh, yes. I, like I love it. I love it. Hopefully the Demogorgon doesn't get us. Yes. See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.